It's Friday, August 5th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! Many times I tried to tell you, many times I cried alone. Always I'm surprised how well you cut my feelings to the bone. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on- and off-duty gear, hot melted plastic made just for you need something custom they got you covered use the code steak for five percent off don't get ready stay ready the pillow king of minnesota and the apparatus known as the my pillow family they got big savings going down at uh, my pillow as usual my slippers six piece towel sets sheets and now even coffee mypillow.com forward slash steak is the website mystore.com forward slash steak is for coffee related items and that promo code steak at checkout you get big big savings you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, belong, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada. He's got a five-star rating. New the redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs to blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. When they're off duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair, home of the Zero Fuck Stuck, can be found at Dumpbox. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. You can find him on Facebook. You can find him on Instagram. Friends, don't forget to follow the show at Instagram on Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you can find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram, and more. Oh. On that note, to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, Frank Speech, and now via our verified account on Truth Social. Welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 158. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Guys, we got a action-packed show. We're going to be getting into all things Super Tuesday, midterm election related. We're going to be sitting down with a couple great guests. And bringing you all the news. Let's jump right into it. What's going on, Noah? Oh, you know, can't complain. How's everything? Well, here we are. And we are here. 
Miss Antoinette, she's wrapping up moving. Hopefully, she'll be back on Tuesday because I hate moving. Noah will be out of the office. It's going to be weird if I have to pull an Alex Jones. I might be like that by the end of the show. Are you going to take your shirt off? Depends. <laughs> I mean, we are audio only, thankfully, for our listenership. All right. We got some business we need to take care of. This is kind of like our, uh, we'll call it show open. It's not even news one, even though it is pretty big news. So I don't know if you guys remember, but we had a big midterm election back third, Super Tuesday, earlier in the week. We brought in just about everyone who's America first, Trump endorsed, and great friends of the show on the tickets throughout the states and the country who ran in the elections. And what did we learn following the vote? America wants them. Yes, but no. Uh, We're still in a pretty large pickle when it comes down to, you know what, I'm really, I'm upset. There's just a lot of things going on. So, first of all, obviously in Arizona, um, you couldn't stop the freight train that was that America First Trump-endorsed ticket. However, the establishment, especially on the Republican side, did everything they could to take the wind out of the sails, which eventually would be called a Cary Lake victory. Yep. Here's the thing. Saw that one coming. What you didn't see coming was an as close a race as what happened. So... All of our listenership knows because we've been sharing it, and hopefully you're following us across all of our social medias. Hit the link tree in the uh, show description, okay? Carrie Lake has nearly 400,000 followers on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen, whatever, has less than 7,000. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me that there was that narrow of a margin, 2.5%. No, it, it, it just shows that even though they were most likely cheating, Mm-hmm. That it was just an insurmountable lead for Kerry Lake. They yeah. couldn't do it because they learned their fucking lesson with the election where it looks just fucking off the chain ridiculous, the, the amount of votes. Over 70% of all of Kerry Lake's vote, which would eventually lead to a sweep of every county, including Maricopa. Got him. Yeah. Came day of vote. That's how, I would guess, prepared... The America First bases, they don't trust the drop boxes. Yeah, they showed up and they did their fucking due diligence. And like, there were people probably watching. I mean, I mean, I wonder if we're going to see any shady shit from people that were keeping an eye on stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, fact of the matter is, is that we ran into the same problems we saw in 2021. It's just fortunate right now that we have a better result as Carrie Lake, Blake Masters, Abe Hamaday, Mark Fincham, and Eli Crane all across the finish line with wins. Um, But it's an uphill battle. I crunched the numbers last night. So the entire Republican ticket was around total votes, 800,000. And the entire Democrat ticket was around 540,000 turnout when you uh, add all the candidates together. Mm -hmm. Looks favorable, but we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. This is not going to be handed over to us. Our listenership really needs to understand that. There's a lot of people out there who are running around very irresponsibly, taking victory laps and celebrating. Now, there is a time to take a breath to catch it. But the fact of the matter is, is that things did not go according to plan. First of all, the mainstream media was up against us the the entire way with this. 
you know, we've highlighted on this show how people like Brett Baer and Laura Ingram on Fox News, and I'm not even going to get into the progressive cable news networks because they're all pieces of trash anyways, mm-hmm. how, how they tried to delegitimize Carrie Lake's campaign, saying that her walk away from the Democrat Party was a red flag that means she basically is grifting to get this job via Donald Trump, which we all know. It's just not true. You don't go out and present a campaign platform like Carrie Lake's and think that you're not going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And when Donald Trump armed her with the rest of the ticket in endorsements, they all better be working together. Yeah. Um, that's number one. Number two, it was nice to see people like Laura Ingram grovel to other big winners of the day, namely Tudor Dixon in Michigan kind of begging her to, like, hear, oh, what was that phone conversation with Donald Trump like? And and Tudor Dixon was just absolutely professional about it, and she kept it between her and the 45th president of the United States. I do have to segue here for whoever – I can't remember what the username was. I should have wrote it down. Whoever screenshotted (laughs) our congratulatory truth to Tudor Dixon and put a picture of – like, they quoted the truth. They put a picture of her and Gretchen Whitmer – right next to each other and said it's like it's now been decided that it will be a battle of the MILFs in Michigan for the government. Oh, that was beautiful. I love our listenership. There's yeah. such These are the dialed-in fans. You know, th- there are a lot of people who are sitting Congress people whose comms teams say, hey, listen, we really want to get these people on the show. You know, we've been burned by people like Nick Fuentes and things like that, and we wish you always didn't, like, repo. But it's the human element that most other broadcasts don't get to include their listenership in. And I don't ever feel like we'll be big enough. Listen, someone could come tomorrow and say, here's a $10 million contract. I will still repost all our listenership shit posts and and do some ourselves like we always Mm -hmm. do. It's just, uh, it gives a human element to, you know, what we do here at Steak for Breakfast. But getting back to these elections, so we saw more of the same funny business, especially in Arizona, Uh, We're at Friday, nearly midday, in an election where the total vote on the Republican side is going to be well south of 100,000. And we still don't know if Joe Kent is going to be one of the top two vote-getters in the state who will move on in the jungle primary to the general election in November. Absolutely fucking ridiculous and embarrassing. Um, You know, so many people have pointed it out. Places like France, I went and looked at the numbers from their most recent election, which was like the referendum one on... Emmanuel Macron, and they had nearly 65 million people come out day of voting, voter ID, every ballot was counted by 9 p.m. France time. Weird. And they were, annou- they were able to announce winners in every race. Sounds nice. 65 million people. Yeah. It's like, what, an eighth of the country? Yeah. You get that done because we're so spread out. Yeah, we're just doing it completely wrong. And and it's some of these people that get voted in, the Tudor Dixons, the Carrie Lakes, you know, that are going to correct some of these problems. But where we're at right now, mail-in voting, general election in some states, they have 75 days before November 8th is when you could start early voting. Oh, sure, it's, it's, it's definitely not easy to be able to stack numbers against your you know, future win or loss when you see the votes coming in like nearly 80 days before the election. Yeah, it just gives you the opportunity to be like, all right, well, we got to dig our heels in and get some more of these fucking people to 
vote out of the rest homes. Yep. Yep. Really frustrated. A couple other things I saw on election night. The Jack Posobiec, Charlie Kirk, Real America's Voice election coverage. Listen, guys, you had it. I tried to search everywhere. No one, not one website, not one legacy media outlet was providing game day live coverage of results coming in. The big shows on all the networks were trying to bring in winners and losers from races to get statements following races called, but you guys were literally play-by-playing it. Mm -hmm. It was absolute cringe. I could watch it for like 10 minutes. (laughs) I, I just don't understand... I don't know if some of these people don't like put on a show and then listen. To, I always listen to our show at least once. Number one, because every once in a while we miss an edit. And I fuck something up. Which is just normal, human error. But number two, like if I sound like absolute garbage or if I'm simping on something or you don't know how many times, I'm sure you hear it too when you go to QC the show, how many times do we miss a joke? We've made so many jokes about people dying and killing people where I could have, <laughs> or you could have threw a Hillary Clinton <laughs> reference in there. Yeah. And, uh, But I just mean, and I I listen to everything. But we'll never do that bullshit where you add a bunch of weird audio clips after it's already recorded. I don't like that. No, I don't like that either. But the fact of the matter is, you guys ran the table and failed miserably. The coverage was literally unwatchable. And I watch MSNBC and CNN to get stuff for our show, to shape narratives that we're going to talk about on here. And... I don't know if you guys have gotten too big for your britches, whether it be followers or reach. You know, Charlie just started the new show on Real America's Voice. Jack does whatever he does, bouncing around from everywhere to War Room to whoever else will take him. But our focus as a nationalist populist movement needs to shift and get a whole lot more serious between now and November. If we think that just because 70% of our voter base will show up on November 8th of 2022 and represent these America First candidates in the general election. Yeah, we can't gun deck this one. I just told you guys, the total Republican vote in Arizona was nearly 300,000 more voter turnout than it was on the Democrat side. You want to know how much closer that's going to be on Election Day? They are going to find bodies everywhere. Actual bodies. Living or dead. Well, that's what I was insinuating. You didn't have to put it so far in the nose. And it's just one of those things I don't think we're, we're dialed in as much as we can be. There's a lot of distractions out there. Reason number two, CPAC's going on this weekend. I like the idea of CPAC. And, and, and we'll talk about it a little bit. We got some supporting audio for this. Um, Raheem Kassam was a voice of reason as one of the major influencers out there who really sees it like it is. The Schlapps run it now. I can't stomach them or their veneers. Schlaps? Yeah. Matt and Mercedes Schlapp. How do you spell that? Just like it sounds. Like S-C-H-L-A-P? P. Two P's. Wow. You know, Mm -hmm. it's obviously P-P. And S when you're referring to both of them. (laughs) They are supporters of things that are pro-choice. They have supported things like this big transgender movement. You can go anywhere and look up Matt Schlapp, Leah Thompson tweet where he thinks we're going to talk about it like Winston Churchill 30 years from now. Mm. Mm -hmm. And by watching some of the coverage of War Room there, me as someone who's, I'm middle-aged, middle class, 
your typical MAGA. I see the whole place is filled with really old people. It makes me feel yucky and disconnected, like old rich people. You know, and, and I get it. It's probably cool. Like, people have asked us in the past, hey, why don't we get you media passes for CPAC? Why don't we get you media passes for other events that go on? And, and I just see the pluses and minuses of it. Would I like a one-on-one exclusive with Papa John? Sure. Who doesn't? Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is we're out here working. And there's just a lot of dist- CPAC's a distraction. Let me explain. Slap in the base. All of the people who are running for office are going to go there regardless. Candidates who won are also going to go there regardless. People who like to make money off the movement are going to go there regardless. Now you'll come and say, oh, but Donald Trump is speaking. Okay, let me explain something to you. Donald Trump is the human version of shadow banned from just about everywhere. Mm-hmm. The only time he gets on any major news network is when somebody wants to use him for something. Mm-hmm. And that is the opportunity that Donald Trump takes to go and talk about the things that he wants to talk about, as is the case with CPAC. CPAC would exist completely fine and in the status that it's in right now if Donald Trump went or didn't go. But Donald Trump will be broadcast everywhere as the keynote speaker of CPAC because it is Donald Trump. It has nothing to do with the schlaps. It has nothing to do with the things that they support, which aren't aligned with MAGA politics. And it's like a two-way street. So you can't really say Donald Trump's grifting off CPAC because Donald Trump's allowing them to use him so he can get to every platform possible. Mm -hmm. We will cover the highlights of CPAC, but we won't cover the event itself. And that is hearing the people who are really important in this movement that will speak over the course of the weekend. CPAC's a distraction. It's something that we shouldn't be doing right now. You know, we've talked to so many people on the ground, the Gosar girls, the Mike Crispies of the world, other political pundits, et cetera, and staffers. I mean, sure, everybody goes and talks for a minute, but it's just like a big hangout fest, which we may or may not need every once in a while, but the fact of the matter is, after what happened on Tuesday, it's even more of an all-hands-on-deck situation than possible. Um, I really feel like... There's just a lot of distractions. Pasobic and the John Stewart thing this week totally didn't need to happen. Mm. It, it accomplishes nothing. Like, I don't understand it. You know, everybody wants to do their own thing, and I'm sure we're all working on other stuff, but, like, school boards and COVID shit is fine when we can open up real congressional investigations next year. Like, right now, it's like how to register to vote, how to work in voting precincts, and everything to do with these candidates. We've used the same model for a year and a half now. We keep recycling these same amazing candidates over and over. And our listenership has exploded. Mm-hmm. Our downloads have shot through the roof. And we've become what I like to consider a namestay, even though, you know, we're in the freshman of the podcast community. I could care less. Our narrative is just as good, if not better, than anybody else out there, period. And anybody that feels otherwise, you could... Take the picture out and block us on social media, which some have done, or you can... Unsmash that like button. Yeah, (laughs) don't hit the notification (laughs) bell. We do have one of those now. and uh, Or just come on down to Steak for Breakfast and we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. How the things that we should be talking about is what we're talking about here, and it's usually exclusively here and nowhere else. Now we're all going to share the same narratives, like MAGA is important, midterms are important, this, that, and the other thing. There has to be a change 
as the chessboard continues to be set up. And we'll know what it looks like by the end of this month because that's when the primaries are pretty much over. What the numbers will be, um, the forecastables in the House and Senate. I think we're done in the Senate just about. We Kelly Chewbacca uh, looking for a big primary there. But besides that, I, I think we're going to be good to go. And uh, we might not always get it right, but we, we, I'm pretty certain that, especially when Antoinette's here as well, we get it better than anybody else. And, and people that actually listen to our show and comments on the segments, those people who make it to like the 170th minute or comment on things that we do in our last interview or third news block, those are the people that make this show great, make this whole experience great. Thank you. Yeah, we, we really appreciate it. But um, as far as these midterms go, you know, it, it's just we got complacent. Uh, Trafalgar 585 gave out false polls. All the news media outlets gave out false polls. They shot Greitens through the roof, Lake through the roof, Blake Masters through the roof. Blake Masters won by a fairly, com- you know, comfortable margin. But there were people that were forecasting, like, more than double digits, like in the teens. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, we really have to be careful with that stuff. But we've used... Yeah, because if you over-forecast, then people are like, oh, it's fine, I don't need to go out and vote. Exactly. Or I'm just going to mail it in, and then who knows if it gets thrown in the fucking... Listen, you could check on the status of your vote. How do you know that there's not somebody at the polling centers that take it, shred it, and press the you turned your ballot in button anyways? Yeah. We don't know how these systems work. Pro tip, if you do mail it in, don't use a Trump stamp. Exactly. (laughs) Is there Trump stamps? Probably the dancing one. Yeah. Um, But yeah... We, we, we saw some things that raised huge concerns and red flags, and we're hoping that as President Trump continues the Save America rally circuit, the people that are working around him, and we know that several of them listen to this show, realize that there's going to be more people up against us now, that the chessboard is almost aligned to give us numbers heading into the generals, than ever before. The polls that were usually trustworthy and reliable, the ones that always say like, oh, these are the people that called it in 2016. They don't give a fuck anymore. Nope. They don't want Donald Trump to come back. Nope. All of the legacy news media outlets. If anybody who won this week goes on any of those Fox News shows, go back on our Twitter, go back on our True Social, find the video of Brett Baer and Laura Ingram talking shit about Carrie Lake and know that's the way they feel about all of these candidates. And the only reason that they have any of the other ones on is for ratings. Yeah. I just think it's disgusting. Are they going to have Carrie Lake on? You should have seen. Because I get, I bet she'll talk shit. Laura Ingram was the person <laughs> that had to announce it last night. Oh, did, did it sound like she was like. Well, well, in the beginning of the show, no, she can't make that noise. Her face is too tight from the Botox. Ooh. She's like getting into this whole like, yeah, it's, it's Thursday night. And we don't even know what the vote is in Arizona. Like, what's up with that? Like, you don't give a shit. No. You, you want the other lady to win. The billionaire back lady who's going to vote for Kevin McCarthy. And then tell us how awesome we are as the Democrats continue to 86 this fucking. Here's the thing, and we say it over and over again. The people who are in control, most prominently on television, radio, podcast, all of them, nothing affects them. Yeah. Even the ones on our side. You like somebody's message? Type in their name and net worth. You'll see anywhere between five and $20 million, if not more. That's not us, by the way. It's definitely not us. <laughs> I drive a 2017 Prius. Mm-hmm. Drive a 2008 Dodge. There you go. And you got a junkyard dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no. Here's another perfect example. Last month, on every major news outlet, Steve Bannon not only was one of the 
conspirators of January 6th. Conspirators? He was running ground game day of. We all know that's not true. It was a complete false narrative. They tried to run him through the mud. Like he was the coach, like with the clipboard? He was the quarterback for, for Donald Trump. On. Yes, he was the quarterback for Donald Trump on, on January 6th. That's what the news media made it seem. It's amazing. It really was. It's idiotic. But today... Now, no, I know you don't, you don't have your hand on the pulse as much as me, but you, even you can see the black and whiteness of this. Yeah. Steve Bannon's talking in CPAC mm-hmm. with all of our Congress people there, sitting Congress people. International leaders, Victor Orban, talked last night. Huh. Pretty weird, right? I mean. Someone who literally helped lead the insurrection. We know he didn't, but that's what everyone made it seem like, is now one of the top five keynote speakers at CPAC. Uh, and everybody, oh, yeah, makes sense. Perfect. What's the net worth? Yep. Very big. Why are they bringing him back in? Steve Bannon's been on the outside for so long, he needs to stay there. He's one of the only people who brings a decent narrative and honest and truth to everything. And that whole team that they originally started with, how they've all branched out to continue to help this movement, they're using him. And and I don't know if he, like, misses the spotlight but he's got enough of it on this base that shouldn't matter to him. Mm-hmm. And that's just where we're at right now. You got to keep your eyes on everything. I'm not saying they're doing bad work, but it's really easy for people to get manipulated. You know, we see it all the time. People tell us shit on this show. Oh, yeah, I'll get this person. I'll get that person. You want to know who gets all the guests that come on this show? I do. We all do. No one Antoinette do. We don't ask anybody for anything. Come on the show if you want to talk. I'll send you an email every week. We've already told you guys on the show, people like Caroline Levitt, Kelly Chewbacca, I don't have enough time. Stop emailing me. That's fine. We're trying to help out your campaign. The people who are listening right now are the ones that are sending those small grassroots donations. The ones who might get their neighborhoods to get motivated to go out and vote for you. Yeah. The ones who have relatives who live in the state where your election day is about to be. And actually get them to the polls. Or driving 60 miles to get yard signs for your fucking candidate. Yeah. Now, if that whole neighborhood gets sucked up by ballot harvesters because they didn't get to hear your message on the show, that's fine. You can go on Newsmax and talk about Title IX all you want, Caroline. You could be too busy trudging through the snow up in Alaska, Kelly. We're still supporting you. We want you guys to win your fucking races, but don't be pieces of shit. That's a, that's a thing. When you all start loving CPAC, when you all start loving the establishment, which is what it is, it's a piece of shit move. Mm. Don't like it. You know, when, when you guys are being absolutely cringe on election night instead of, like, being serious or, like, being funny or something, it's cringe. Nobody likes it. Everybody hates it. Got a lot of feedback on it. And, uh, listen, I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to be making any television spots anytime soon. No? And here we are. We are here. All right, let's jump into this election night stuff. Tudor Dixon did make it to Fox News. On Tuesday night following her win, and it was good to hear, uh, well, the mommy candidate sit down uh, with none other than Tucky. Let's hear her. I think you're one of those candidates who won because you had ideas people liked. You're not part of any kind of party apparatus. Am I, am I right? 
Absolutely. Coming out of nowhere with this idea that family is important has seemed to be striking a nerve in the state of Michigan. So we've come out there and we've said, look, we lived through this shutdown. We lived through the worst shutdown. And we want to come around parents who want to actually be in schools. And now we have a lot of parents that are paying attention and want to be in schools. We want to come around our police officers, restore rule of law, go back to having safe cities in the state of Michigan, and maybe even try to talk to our job creators and support them instead of attacking them. Because you saw during COVID when Gretchen Whitmer attacked all of our job creators, that continues today. People don't know this, but she has this bureaucracy that reigns in the state of Michigan and it hurts yeah. all of our job creators. That hurts our families. I'm interested that you, the first thing you said was families are important. So yep. for decades, generations, the Republican Party in Washington has sought to de-emphasize the so-called social issues. You're not supposed to talk about families right off the bat. You're supposed to talk about capital gains taxes. But you talked about families relentlessly, and voters seem to like that? Yes. I know. It's shocking because at the end of the day, family is what's important. You know, Tucker, I just lost my dad. And my dad had a phenomenal career. But at the end of his life, it was me crawling into bed next to him and telling him how much I loved him that mattered. Family yes. is the most important thing. That's right. That's right. You, you're not going to care about your stupid job on your deathbed. I think that all the time. Tudor Dixon, it is great to meet you. Congratulations. And of course, we are fervently rooting for you in November. It's a great state. It deserves better. Thank you very much. Thank you. Keep rooting for me at TudorDixon.com. Thank you, Tucker. You know, Besides Lake versus Hobbs, Dixon versus Whitmer will be, it will be the number one national race. They're going to put her down at about 10 points to start because they're vetting Gretchen Whitmer to be a presidential hopeful or maybe a VP pick. She is a fucking monster. Know that. She locked that entire state down worse than ever before. They were third highest in COVID deaths. She went on vacation after fucking vacation the entire time her state was locked down. She ruined small businesses. She directly attacked the nuclear family in Michigan. She's ruined the education system there. Her husband went all over the place with his boat and shit and got caught every single time during the pandemic. This is the biggest referendum general election in the country in regards to the governorship. Larry Hogan's gone in Maryland. Hobbs is running as a Democrat in a red state. Tudor Dixon versus Gretchen Whitman, Whitmer will be ground zero for a referendum on what the Biden administration did to this country during the pandemic. It was oh. good to hear her talk. You hear her getting choked up? Boy, I like it, yeah. I like a little bit more than just it. <laughs> good talk. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie Lake's at CPAC today. Like I said, we'll bring you some of the highlights. It was very unfortunate for the fact that she never really got to have a victory rally. That was that was one of the biggest things. I feel, I hope that Donald Trump makes like a surprise trip out to Arizona and does like a little small thing for her. That'd be cool. I mean, just the we all know we love her. She's amazing. But what they did with the vote manipulation there, knowing that she was going to win, they took the wind out of her campaign sales, which was soaring. Those last couple weeks in Arizona, everywhere she went was absolutely packed with Rick Grinnell and Cash. And all the other candidates that she was traveling with, she did a lot of events with Blake Masters and Abe Hamaday. And just to do what they did, it, like, you could tell that she's pissed. I mean, she did, like, a little thing last night at, like, 9 p.m. Pacific when, you know, they finally made the announcement. But uh, it, it was unfortunate to, to not see her have, like, a legitimate traditional celebration. But she was talking policy today at CPAC. Let's hear some of the things from uh, the next governor of Arizona. So uh, should you become governor? 
uh, you know, following this election. What, what concrete steps are, is your administration going to take to get things under control in Arizona? Well, I think one of the reasons that I won is that I have the most aggressive border security plan in the country that Dex. we've ever seen. And that's one of the reasons I got elected. Our plan is to call it what it is. We have an invasion at the border, and on day one, we're going to call it that. And we, and we need to call it what it is in order to use the U.S. Constitution for a remedy. Article 1, Section 10 says that if we are in imminent danger, we're being invaded, and time is of the essence, then we can protect our own border. We don't need to wait for Joe Biden. That's right. We can't wait for Joe Biden. And so we're going to get down there. We're going to issue a declaration of invasion on day one as soon as my hand comes off the Bible. We're going to send our Arizona National Guard troops to the border and stop people from coming. We're going to finish President Trump's wall. And as a state, we're going to remember that we are sovereign. We created the federal government. They didn't create us. And we're not going to sit here with Joe Biden rolling out the welcome mat to the whole world. We can't accept people illegally like this. And nobody in Arizona wants an open border. They don't want the fentanyl pouring in. They don't want the cartels in control of our border. We want safety on our streets and we want security. And we're going to do that for the people of Arizona starting on day one. She's going to be amazing. Yeah. I can't wait for the first day. Like, Literally, hand's going to come off the Bible. <laughs> She's going to do exactly what she said. Mm-hmm. It's going to be perfect. You know, some of the things that we're up against outside of our own party were on display this week. Um, I saw a piece with Randy Maddow. I believe it was on Monday night. I grabbed it. Or, no, I'm sorry. It, it might have been on, on election day. Good old Randy. Yeah. I mean, not good old, but. He was big mad. Well, his show's coming to an end anyway. But can't imagine why. Yeah, she talked about how in just hours the election results will be coming in for all those Trump endorsed candidates, and that more than likely they were going to win because honestly, at the end of the day, he knows how to pick them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about it extensively for months now. This is the most diverse group of political candidates in the you know the history of our Republican Party. But there are probably hundreds of thousands, if not a couple million, who would occasionally tune into this dude's show and tries to hear, uh, you know, all the things that's got him big mad. It was political candidates on Tuesday. Let's hear it. There is a Trump-endorsed candidate for governor who has made the 2020 election the number one issue of her campaign. She obviously says the election was stolen and President Biden secretly isn't president. And if she becomes governor, she says she will eliminate mail-in voting in Arizona, as well as eliminating all voting machines. Then there's the Republican primary for U.S. Senate in Arizona. Mm -hmm. That Senate candidate, Blake Masters, believes the 2020 election was stolen. He also says the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol was a false flag operation carried out by the FBI. When it it comes to gun violence in America, Blake Masters says he blames, quote, black people, frankly. What? Then there's the Republican primary for Secretary of State in Arizona. Trump-backed candidate there is an election denier who says he will only accept the results if he wins. Uh, He was at January 6th himself. Mm -hmm. 
And he says he's a member of the right-wing pro-Trump paramilitary group, the Oath Keepers. Meanwhile, Missouri, the Republican primary for U.S. Senate there features the state's former Republican governor, who was forced to resign from that job after about five minutes in a scandal over blackmailing his former mistress after he allegedly forced her into a non-consensual sexual encounter and then photographed it. And he's released an ad that features him and other guys with guns in tactical gear pretending to hunt fellow Republicans they deem insufficiently Trumpy. Eric Greitens' main rival for the U.S. Senate nomination in Missouri is another man named Eric. His name is Eric Schmidt. You may best remember him for joining a lawsuit to try to get the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Biden's election and then launching a fundraising effort off of it. I should also mention that in the great state of Washington, this guy has like a whole Rolodex of extremist, white nationalist and militia members connected mm -hmm. to his campaign. <laughs> the AP reports he's paid thousands of dollars for campaign consulting to the Proud Boys. Uh, he keeps showing up at events and posing for photos with guys who spread anti-Semitic and neo-Nazi propaganda online, who say things like Hitler was complicated and Hitler was misunderstood. The candidate himself said in an interview, quote, I don't think there's anything wrong with there being a white people special interest group. That's who Trump is backing in a primary challenge to a sitting Republican congresswoman in Washington state tomorrow. So that's literally... <laughs> Wow. Hundreds of thousands of people will watch that on a nightly basis. And, and believe every word of it. And take it as gospel. I like the I like the black people, frankly. So that's basically her saying, I'm interpreting what he said as black people. Yes. Even though he did on occasion reference FBI crime statistics. Well numbers don't that, lie? That, that he's referencing the FBI. Yeah. I thought they liked them. Don't they? They them? They them. Okay. No, not they them. <laughs> I would never they them. And we're off the rails. <laughs> but yeah, so that's some of the absolute cringe who people that might be undecided voters might be people who are thinking about walking away from the Democrat Party. It's just such bullshit. Yeah, election denial, racist, and January 6th was the highlight of that entire two-minute segment. And they, at a rally, he... Took a photo with somebody who ran up to him. Let me, let me. Who happens to be a fucking wackadoo. Right. And again. But it, we're just going to say it's his best friend now. It won't be the first and last time we hear it on the show, probably. Thanks again, Nick Fuentes, for ruining it for all of us who legitimately want to host all of these people. You know. Oh, he, yeah. That was the Hitler's complicated reference. Um, yeah, what the fuck was that? And now all of their comms directors are scared to let them go on non-syndicated podcasts. So. We'll, we'll pull clips from Steve Bannon's war room because we don't have a team of lawyers to ensure you that we're not going to go live and say the N-word or say that Hitler's complicated. What? what, what? <laughs> so well, ask random. Yeah. Well, ask all of our Freedom Caucus members who attended his summit last year. I'd say it was a black eye, but we're trying to get away from that thread right now. Ooh. There we go. Liz Cheney's been in the news as her political career is now 14 days away from being over. Um, I'll be completely honest with you, Noah. I don't know if you thought the same thing. Dick Cheney is not dead. He's not? No, I'm not joking. I literally thought he had died. No, I'm with you. He's not dead? Apparently not. Unless it was like a Coachella-style Tupac hologram, Dick Cheney came out with a new campaign ad. I don't know if Cheney would do good as a... Uh... Hologram? <laughs> Does anybody really do good as the hologram? <laughs> anyway, CNN was discussing yesterday. We're going to hear portions from Liz Cheney's final campaign ad 
starring her apparently alive warmongering father. Just getting into our newsroom, a new uh, Liz Cheney ad, and she uses mm. a familiar face um, to talk about some of this Trumpism. So let's watch that. Okay. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic nice cowboy than hat. Donald Trump. He tried to steal like five the gallon. election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He mm. lost his election, and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Sure don't. But mm. that, How mm. about that? How about that, Ron? Even if he was hypothetically uh, lo losing, bring it, bring, did he lose big? Out. Look, oh. it, it no. goes to the point that the, the, the congressman was making about kind of the evolution of the Republican Party. I mean, it was only 15 years ago that, that Cheney was considered the conservative, Dick Cheney was considered the conservative end of the GOP. Democrats called him Voldemort, right? Uh, and now, because he ascribes to a vision of conservatism that is centered on small government, strong national defense, uh, as opposed to this sense of grievance about being displaced in a changing and diversifying country, uh, he's kind of, you know, uh, on the outs uh, in this in this party. And, you know, Liz Cheney is, I think, a perfect embodiment, uh, highly unlikely to win her primary. Very, um, absolutely but she unlikely. Symbolizes a lot of, you know, this roughly one quarter to one fifth somewhere in there of Republican voters who are deeply uneasy with the Trump direction, but yet have continued to vote for candidates uh, advancing it uh, on the grounds that they like Democrats even less. What does she do going forward? What do they do going forward? What does Dick Cheney, George W. Bush do going forward? I think that's just a critical question for how American mm -hmm. politics evolves and how great this threat to democracy becomes uh, in the next several years couple things I pulled away from that. First of all, CNN was probably at the forefront of referring to Dick Cheney as Vader and calling him a war criminal for over a decade. Um, up until that commercial came out, there's probably still people there who openly thought he was dead or wished it upon him every day. Mm -hmm. I heard a couple talking points from that guy. Strong government, national defense. Translation, big government, military industrial complex. Yep. What is CNN doing right now? Spiraling the drain in regards to... Circling the drain? Both. All of the above. They're nearly out of the game, period. War and their biased coverage of what would be war is what keeps their ratings going. Mm -hmm. And they only want people in there who are not going to end endless wars like Donald Trump does. They want people in there who are going to fuel it. Yeah, people seem to forget that we had no fucking war for four years. And it really took just an act of idiocy to, to fire up the, the shit that's going on now. You, you don't think they're coming at us from all directions? CNN is championing Dick Cheney on their network. It's mind-boggling. They're coming from every direction, crawling out of every gutter, rising from every grave, being added to every voter roll. And this is what we're up against. Raheem Kassam, I pulled a couple clips from him. He's come in as a voice of reason over the last 48 to 72 hours. And he was on a podcast with Jenna Ellis. So he was supposed to be on with us this week. He rescheduled. Hopefully he's going to be on with us next week. Mm -hmm. Got a soft yes. You know how he is. He's like a day of guy. Hey, just got back from the gym. I'm going to jump in the shower. If you could do it in 15 minutes, I'm down. Thanks. I'm 35 minutes away from the studio. So I asked him. I said, is it because she has better boobs than I do? And he replied, that's debatable. 
Yours are probably bigger. <laughs> so I said, thanks. And sent him a little crying picture. Nice. But while he was on a podcast earlier with her this week, instead of us, he talked about some issues with the Republican Party and the current movement that can be course-corrected and adjusted before the general election. Let's hear him in one of two clips I've got. Problem with the Republican Party platform at the moment is they say two things. Number one, we ain't them. That's that's number one, the, the number one stool, a leg in the stool. And number two uh, is to say uh, we we question every single institution and we are no longer going to go along with the status quo and so on and so forth. And then when they get into power, they don't do anything about it. And there's no third leg of the stool either. So it's it's not exactly built to last. New studio. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And they can't just play defense and think that that's going to continue winning elections. And so as we're poised to go into the midterms, what effect Apparently is this going to have on uh, the, the Democrats' background. platform and how they are going to try to advance uh, elections? Because as you've just mentioned in the opening, so many Americans are so frustrated by everything going on at home. Horrible they're now dropping. frustrated that Nancy Pelosi is going to Taiwan instead of San Francisco to her own district uh, where people are suffering. And so how is this going to be spun in favor of Democrats? And what would you like to see as the Republicans actually better response than, hey, we're not just them? Yeah, well, the difference is, um, you know, uh, Taiwan may well become a war zone. San Francisco is already a war zone. It has been a war zone for quite some time. So Nancy Pelosi's, uh, uh, you know, flight over over her constituents, waving down, I'm sure, as uh, as she passed over, is, is is somewhat understandable from her perspective. Um, no, no, no great photo opportunities over there. Um, I am always of the belief that you have to fight elections not on what you're against, but what you're for. Um, and, and what you're against can, can form a, a foundation um, of, of the way you present your case to the public. You have to present uh, the case against the other side, of course, but you also have to present the case for something and why also. And I think, by the way, that is where a lot of our pro-life arguments fall down as well, is, is we kind of say what we're against. We say what we're against a lot on that subject. We don't always say what we're for in contrast. And because we think it's an automatic thing, oh, well, you're against abortions, you must be for life. Yeah, but like for life is, you've got to be a little bit more detailed. And then why, where that comes from, why we believe it, not just spiritually, why we believe it, not just as human beings, why we believe it from a policy perspective, what data bears out from from those things that people are receptive, voters rather are receptive to them. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, Truth in that. Yeah. Got to... uh... Diversify the message a little bit. We do have a broad message and, and, and an even broader platform. I think it's resonating with people, but as we turn the corner and, and get ready by the end of August to head into general election season, it's time to start unpackaging a lot of the message. Yeah. Saying the 2020 presidential election was rigged and stolen is completely legitimate, factual, and needs to be addressed. Let's talk how and why. You can't just get up there and, like, slam the friggin' podium and say 2,000 mules and think that's it. We've outlined extensively on this show all the different varieties of voter fraud that were preexistent to ballot harvesting and free-for-all mail-in voting. Yeah, we got to get away from the tag words and stuff like that. Like, you have an argument with somebody about, you know, election integrity, and they're they're basically pre-programmed to say the mainstream media talking points. It's... Mike Lindell, no matter what he does, no matter how much he cares about the country, he's the my pillow guy. Right. And you have to get away from these things that people can attack, and you just have to just lay out facts. Like two thousand mules is great. It's a eye opening experience that people should all 
watch and and just be aware of what's going on but they're going to try to invalidate it so you just have to just stick with the meat and potatoes this is what happened here is how i can prove it mm-hmm. here are the fucking numbers here's a video showing what fucking happened you can't just you can't you can't just be lazy and be like wow go watch 2000 mules this doesn't work no you, you have to be well versed and you have to also offer solutions um last clip of the of our opening today it's it's about from a month ago raheem was on war room and he was talking about steve and this is probably before the schlaps approached him and and got their tentacles around him but he's talking about all things related to cpac as we get ready to wrap our open and, and, and get into our first guest but let's hear this clip first and we'll talk about it briefly I am going to try to be nice. I really am, because these people are some of the worst people in the conservative world that I have ever had the displeasure of working with. Uh, uh, Matt Schlapp at the CPAC conferences. And and, and let me take this away from the personal and talk about the political here, the efficacy. Um, the when you sit down and you invite corporate reporters into your home and then you tell them Joe Biden is my president and I'm not sure there was enough voter fraud. You know exactly what you're doing, what you're doing is you're kowtowing to a corporate media class that, oops, fired you, Matt Schlapp, as their consultant when you had them as, when you had them as clients several years ago, and you now need those clients back. Uh, you have taken CPAC into uh, you know, a, a corporate consultant territory conference uh, that nobody likes to even go to anymore uh, because it's just so full of, of corporate types and, and, and uh, very devoid of grassroots activism like it was when I first started going and wax lyrical about how brilliant CPAC was back in 2009 and 10. And then they started kicking out anybody that would, uh, you know, curate negative headlines. In uh, I remember we did, the, we did the uninvited conference there, Steve, at CPAC, I think back in 2011. Uh, Pamela Geller and all these types who were uninvited uh, from that conference. And look, this is very serious because the American Conservative Union and CPAC has typically been a stalwart of conservatism in, in the United States. It is a place that people go not just to, to hang out at the bars, but to make connections, to share best practices, to get involved in the movement. It has been turned into this pay-for-play uh, uh, corporate nonsense fest. And now you see why, ladies and gentlemen. The ACU is in desperate need. And by the way, ask anybody on the inside of the ACU or maybe formally on the inside of the ACU, hint, hint, uh, about what's going on in there about what's going on with the board and how unhappy they are with the leadership, about the people that they have had to let go over the last couple of months, and why, by the way. And you will realize that this very, very important piece of the conservative puzzle in the United States is being driven into the ground by nout but grifters. I'll say it again, grifters like the schlaps. Hi. Sums it up pretty well. Yeah. I mean, and listen... Did Steve Bannon cut him off? This was before he was confirmed as a speaker. You got to have an open mind to it. Yeah. Who are these people? What are they doing? And remember, most importantly, CPAC doesn't get anything from Donald Trump. Donald Trump gets everything from CPAC. He's going to give his platform to the Republican base, and he'll be on all the TV stations. So at the end of the day, that's just about all it's good for. Biggest thing to keep in mind, the general election is in 94 days. Mm-hmm. We need to get our shit together. Huge monumental wins across the board in the last couple months. We're now on the back end. Alaska, New York, Connecticut, Wisconsin, Florida, all coming down the pike. Wisconsin next week. Ron Johnson, they're coming after him. We're going to talk about him in a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
You know, that guy's put his fucking political career on the line for protecting veterans and for exposing COVID. And uh, I don't see enough people involved getting his back. You know who has his back? Seems to be a recurring thing. Donald Trump will be there tonight uh, for a rally. I'm pretty sure he'll be calling Ron Johnson up on stage. Nice. But, you know, we're going to talk about some of this a little bit. You know, successes of Super Tuesday and the huge win that he had not too long ago when he ended the political career of current governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan. We're going to be sitting down with one of our favorite gubernatorial candidates, Dan Cox, and uh, be chatting with him. All right, joining us first on the show today, coming in on the heels of a huge primary win, he is now the Republican gubernatorial candidate in the great state of Maryland. Dan Cox, welcome back to Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, gentlemen. It's an honor, and it sure is exciting to be back as the Republican nominee, the America First nominee here in Maryland. And, you know, we defied the odds. It was exciting to see the movement take shape, and uh, what a what an exciting night it was on the election night to win by uh, nearly 20 points. And then, uh, you know, obviously now we're about nine and a half, ten points of a, of a win ready for certification because of those nasty mail-in ballots, as we know. Yeah. Uh, but. It was still a huge, uh, amazing victory for all the uh, all the volunteers and, and all the hard work that we put in for the last year. So it was exciting to see. I like it. And, I mean, Dan, you've been working as a delegate. You've been working in the state of Maryland for the people there for a long time. You have a long documented track record of how you've always gone against the grain to benefit the people that actually live there and not the big government machine that would rather just make themselves bigger and line their pockets more. Uh, you've always done stuff to, you know, protect law enforcement. You've... Uh, are, are hugely strong on immigration due to the fact that we know there's an enormous influx of, of migrants that have come into, uh, you know, Maryland over the last decade and, and just things like that. Donald Trump uh, jumped on you with the endorsement relatively early. You had a great ground game there, which seems to be part of the equation that we're seeing with a lot of success of the candidates that have done well through the primary season. And then day of voting uh, between Carrie Lake, yourself, uh, Doug Mastriano, and Tudor Dixon. It seems like day in voting is just overwhelming the system and, and giving such large margins of victories to all these candidates. We can't congratulate you enough for uh, – we heard Donald Trump make some great remarks about soon-to-be former governor Larry Hogan there at the Trump rally, quite humorous. And uh, we can't be more thankful than to have you uh, up there as the Republican nominee. Well, it's an honor, and I appreciate it. I, I am so grateful for President Trump. He stood with me through thick and thin, and, you know, we were running 10 points up, but nobody, you know, a large portion of the party still didn't know me. I didn't have a lot of money, and he believed in me. He saw that I had worked hard in Philadelphia for him with the lawyers for Trump team. He saw that I was fighting for America first values as a state delegate, like you said, willing to stand up and stand out and and to lead in our state of uh, a lot of um, unfortunate uh, misdirection from the current leadership. And, you know, the good news is uh, we're uniting, we're coming together, and the America First values are now in charge. We are leading forward on those values. They won big. And, you know, a lot of the party insiders, for instance, called me and congratulated me and said, you know, uh, Larry has nothing to say because at this point it wasn't even a, a close contest. It was an overwhelming uh, defeat of his vision for Maryland and his vision for America, frankly. And, you know, an interesting story happened when he was out at the RGA retreat in, in Colorado, I was told on the night of the election. And he had, uh, he's uh, got a, a team forming to help him, a governor seeking to help him run for, for president, I'm told. And uh, when we won overwhelmingly, the governors surrounded him and said, Larry, you didn't, you weren't truthful here. What's going on? You said you had this state, you, you could win your state and it was all locked up for you. And 
and and your endorsement and that that didn't happen it wasn't even close you know it was a it was it was a landslide uh, for Dan Cox and you know that kind of uh, created uh, I think uh, some question in a lot of people's minds as we're seeing across the country President Trump is the leader of this party he's yep. leading because of the America first values that are very broad and inclusive values we see parents for instance being valued again we see children that need to uh, have real education not this indoctrination of uh, transgender ideology from pre-k through third i mean that's just unconscionable it's happening here in maryland behind parents backs they can't even opt them out and this is igniting a lot of people that's why loudon county a democrat county virginia came out and, and elected glenn youngkin so we're looking at that model we're running on that model we're running hard and we're looking at the blue areas and saying you know what Oh, there's a lot more that unites us as parents, as small businesses, as the fact that we have a large number of veterans that have been left behind here. And, uh, and you know, what is my opponent offering? He's offering more lockdowns, more vaccine passports, more uh, gender ideology uh, being uh, uh, programmed into our children's pre-K through 12 uh, education rather than reading, writing, and arithmetic. And and also the entire Biden economic debacle is what he's embraced with the Green Deal and everything else that uh, comes with that with locking our economy down. So we're looking at a new day in Maryland. We're, we're seeing this resonate across party lines and we're excited to carry that banner for everybody. Yeah, I think that's a that's an excellent point you make there, Dan. You, you're talking about some of those Democrats that live in the state. There's a lot of independents in Maryland too, due to the transient nation of the or nature of the people that live there. And, and I think, you know, based on the fact that you don't mind getting out there and meeting face to face with the people and talking to them about the issues it should seem like it, it would be fairly easy to get out into these communities right now and say listen look what's going on just just as recently as this week i mean we're getting ready to pass two trillion dollars more in in wasteful spending between build back better two and the chip act in addition to the money we keep funneling over to ukraine meanwhile you know, gas prices have gone down a few cents and they're taking a victory lap uh, for today at the White House press conference. Like that doesn't resonate with the parents, with the with the, you know, working hard, blue collar, middle class in, in, in Maryland on either side of the aisle. And I think Joe Biden's numbers are so low right now. Congress's numbers are so low right now and independents are looking to walk away and in possibly the greatest amounts ever before. It seems like it's a great opportunity to capitalize on bringing those people in. You talked about that, uh, you know, party platform that's extremely inclusive and saying, like, listen, you might not agree with all of President Trump's politics, but President Trump's politics are the things that are going to make your lives a lot better. So if we find a way to make that work in Maryland, then that's going to be a uh, key to success. Amen. And, you know, the jobs, jobs, jobs is the issue, along with the fact that many of our working people here in Maryland are paying a third of their income uh, for their fuel as, yeah. as they are across the United States. And when you look at the plan of my opponent, you know, Wes Moore is all in for the Biden plan. He's all into the 2035 elimination of vehicles. He wants to go full electric, but yet our electric grid can hardly bear what we have. So we're looking at becoming another California. I want to change that and say, no, we're going to expand our our opportunities with our oil and gas. We're going to take this moratorium off the table and stop uh, allowing Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Virginia to profit off of our oil and gas. And we're going to say that we can compete. We're smart people. We can do this uh, with the pro appropriate environmental protection. I mean, the other states are doing just fine. And if we do that, if we bring a refinery here, and if we also look at expanding our electric grid, we're going to have a, a, a boom in the economy. We're going to have lower taxes. We're going to look to make sure that we equalize our, our competition across state lines and look right right across the line you can move across the potomac here and you could save millions of dollars as a business person so why would you open a business here in maryland we are dead last to retire in so why would 
grandparents uh, want to stay here in Maryland except for their grandkids and, and, and in doing so lose potentially millions of dollars over, over time with their investments and with the fact that if they were to die here, they'd be dying in a, in a state that costs you four times. We tax you four times when you die. So we've got to change that. It resonates. It, it's truly resonating across party lines and independents are on board. We're looking at um, some real change, I think, when you see the Biden plan tanking here in Maryland. People are fed up. I, I had an interesting conversation, for instance, uh, door knocking the other day, and I was talking to an independent. And I asked him, I said, you know, what are your issues? He said, well, you know, I, 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 I'm not so hot on some of the, uh, you know, the past issues with the Republicans, but I'll tell you this. He said, I'm a little bit discouraged, right? I said, what are you discouraged by? He said, well, and this was a more, I guess, left-leaning uh, independent. We have a lot of, con- you know, right-leaning independents as well. But this this gentleman was definitely a, uh, a former, I think he told me he voted for Obama, for instance. And he said, well, I, I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you appreciate what Biden is doing right now? And does your family appreciate that? He looked down at the ground, looked back up, and he said, absolutely not. He wants a change. And, and that's what we can do here in Maryland and capitalize on as Republicans, because that's who we are. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a better plan. We want to empower the individual, bring power back to the people, make sure that the money stays in everyone's pockets. And an example of that right now in the legislature, uh, they failed to give the Trump tax cuts back to the people. Most of the country, you know, West Virginia, Virginia, Florida, Tennessee, all around us, Delaware, they got thousands of dollars back per person and up to millions per business in the Trump tax cuts. And yet here in Maryland, we have 2.5 billion of the Trump tax cuts sitting in the treasury. Mm. The amazing uh, amount of savings that could happen with that. And you know what they're doing instead? They're trying to do the Biden plan, just as you mentioned, with spending, overspending the budget. So we, they increased our budget up to 62 billion. The cash is flowing. It's going out the door to these uh, woke corporations which is just flooding the economy. It's, it's hurting the inflationary aspect of it. And we don't see any end in sight. So I intend to cut the spending, put the tax cuts back in the pockets of the people so they can have savings to get, you know, have Christmas and make sure that uh, they can make it through this economy. And, and once again, turn this state back in a direction more like Florida, where we are, are freer, lower taxes, and our families can stay here and retire here. Now, expanding that game plan right there, Dan, you obviously are going to shift gears into a little bit more of a broader campaign heading into the summer months. What is the next couple of months heading into uh, probably debate season looking like for you and your team? Well, you know, we are up against the money machine. My opponent is uh, right now up in the Hamptons in, in uh, New York, New York uh, with C Street money. Uh, he's looking to bring in a lot of Oprah money and, and different woke, uh, you know, people on his team. They're trying to bring that kind of... Uh, international pharmaceuticals are in, in for him. They're very afraid of my campaign. And the reason is because I've promised to eliminate the mandates. I will make sure that people have their health choices back again, where the, the individual right to privacy is, is ours. I'm going to reverse the Maryland national guard has uh, eliminated thousands of uh, great. In fact, the best, some of the best leadership, we're going to give them their jobs back by order. Nice. We're going to fight the Biden administration. We're going to make sure that all of our federal workers uh, in Maryland that reside in Maryland have a Maryland discriminatory protection. We have we have protection under Maryland law and the federal government can't discriminate. And they're doing that on religion and on medical uh, yep. issues. We have a broader uh, medical exemption, for instance, than a lot of other states. We have a broader religious exemption. So we're going to change that. We're going to fight. That's going to actually empower people then to have you know their say and going forward. And so 
we need to raise money. And so I'm asking everybody, look, do you want the $2 billion pandemic prevention center, which is going to track everyone in the United States with a QR code app? Do you want that pushed on your state? Well, if you do not, then I'm asking you humbly to support my campaign. We need the money to fight this, these woke corporations and international big pharma that is coming in for Westmore. You can go to coxforfreedom.com. You can donate whatever you can donate. Every dime, we're putting it into our, our, our messaging. Right now, we're going into television and radio. We've got to get the message out. The independents are on our side. This is how we're going to win this. Yep. And, uh, and, and, all, and also, all we need are about 20, 25% of the Democrats. You know, a lot of people say, well, Larry Hogan had, you know, 70% Democrat approval. Well, that's because he was pretty much a Democrat in how he was governing. Exactly. But all we need, all we need really are the independents to side with us as well as a, uh, you know, a small chunk of the Democrats who are freedom lovers. And we have that right now. So, but I just need everybody on board because as we know, as campaigns go, uh, we're talking about a, a heated race. Millions of dollars are going to pour in to make Westmore the governor. We've got to make sure that doesn't happen. And this matters to the entire country. It really does. It sure does. Dan, we're going to be looking to get back with you at some point over the course of the summer heading into the uh, general election season. We wish you all the best. We're going to live link your uh, website, which you just came out. Can you tell us where we can find you on social media? Thank you. Yeah, you can uh, find us on Truth Social at Real Dan Cox. You can find us on uh, Facebook, official.dan.cox, or uh, you can follow me on uh, my Dan Cox page as well. I've got a page there. And then, uh, obviously, we're on Instagram, Dan Cox uh, for Governor, I think, also uh, several other spots. I, my, my team runs that. So, we're, you know, we're out there and uh, we're growing. Um, we're getting the message out. Um, we're not buying bots to follow us. We actually have real followers. And uh, I think also you can go to uh, Telegram. A lot of your listeners may be on Telegram. Yeah. We are on Telegram. Um, you can look me up, uh, Dan Cox for Governor on Telegram. And uh, I ask everybody to help us out. Coxforfreedom.com. You can go to that website. That's our website. You can donate securely. You can see our our messaging. You can go and and, uh, sign up to help us in any way you can. Thank you so much, gentlemen. No, thank you, Governor. Well, delegate. I'll take it. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's coming. You're out there working hard. We haven't been wrong much yet. No, we've been pretty good with our record so far. And uh, like I said, we'll be looking to circle back at some point in the summer. This is the Trump-endorsed America First Republican nominee for the governor, great state of Maryland. Mr. Dan Cox, thanks for uh, jumping on with us today. Thank you, gentlemen. All the best. Take care. All right, let's jump into some of the news that's uh, going on right now this week. We're getting ready to head into the weekend. So I don't know if you guys have heard. I know I messaged our group chat about it, so no one answered that no, but Kristen Simina, she she caved to the inflation bill. Boo. Yeah, so this will effectively be her last term as senator in addition to Joe Manchin. I can't wait for Donald Trump to kingmake both of their successors. But apparently there were some amendments made. They mean nothing. Um, the middle class is looking at about a 30% tax hike. For all the things, you know, they bullshit lie about. It pays for itself. Medicare is going down. It's only going to cost seniors like 2000 a month. And then all the benefits of allotting funds to green whatever. So we'll be paying 60% tax in California? Just about. Fuck. I mean, you know, we're still in the high 20s out here, even with the gas prices going down a little bit. And so the price of groceries going up $5 and then going down 30 cents is no fucking bargain, I'll tell you that much. Um, so Joe Biden did a little presser this week. To kind of clarify some of the things for the American people, it started off well. Let's hear how it began. You're on mute. I can't hear you. 
We feel your presence, Mr. President. <laughs> I hate them all. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. You're on mute. I can't hear you. Was it on his end? I, I had to have been. Yeah. There was something. So it was just uh, garbage. Yeah, it was garbage. He did give a little bit of a snot-nosed dispo on what some of the lies are in this bill. Before we break it down a little bit, let's just hear him rant on for a second. Pay a minimum tax of 15%. That's less than a school teacher and an and a, uh, auto worker pay. Let me be clear. What? Despite what some folks are saying, the Inflation Reduction Act makes sure that no one earning less than $400,000 a year will pay a penny more in federal taxes, notwithstanding all these ads you see on television. But don't take my word for it. Nearly 130 economists, seven Nobel laureates in economics, former, former Treasury secretaries, the Federal Reserve vice chair, former director of the Congressional Budget Office, wrote that this bill will, quote, fight inflation and lower costs for American families while setting the stage for a strong economic recovery. Absolutely not. The office that scores this says it's garbage. Mm -hmm. And now he's saying former Harvard professors and this, you know, former administration economist are are all saying it's good. There's no definitive proof. He's giving you opinionative statements to legitimize this. Um. I hope people are a little bit smarter than that. So I don't know if you heard, but the DOJ has effectively gone into uh, looking into the Supreme Court ruling on Dobbs and Roe v. Wade, and the Justice Department is looking to weaponize some of that codification that's up for Bill. KGP weighed in and talked about What's exactly going on right now in regards to the constitutionalness of it? She can't even say it, so let's hear it. Mm-hmm. Day one, when uh, when the Supreme Court made this extreme decision uh, to take away a, a constitutional right, uh, it was an unconstitutional unconstitutional action by them, a right that was around for almost 50 years, a right that women had to make a decision on their bodies and how they want to start their families from day one. Mm-hmm. Constitutional right and protection that's been around for over 50 years. False. Mm-hmm. 100% false. The ruling on Roe v. Wade at the federal level has changed nothing across the country. Now... Are states making changes to effectively piggyback some of the non-benefits off of this in regards to the pro-life movement? I hope so. But that's for the states to decide. File lawsuits. Elect new electors. Pick new judges. But as of right now, it is what it is. So the Biden administration is going to be offering, like, state line crossing protections for people like, again, there aren't abortion checkpoints at, when you cross state lines. And I'm pretty sure that all of those abortion clinics don't ask for like your current permanent residence when you go in to get an abortion either. Yeah, doubtful. It's absolutely stupid. So is John Kirby, who was in again to talk foreign policy yesterday. And uh, well, I don't know if you know this because nobody honestly gives a shit. 
Joe Biden's tested positive for his rebound case of COVID for the fifth day in a row. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah, no one cares. It's not. No, it's over. Like there's, <laughs> there's those, those signs. Like you wear a mask. No one cares. No one cares. Like it's literally like why are they even up anymore? It's over. Even out here in California, I would say the ratio is probably like one to a thousand. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is ground zero for, you know, the radical progressive left. So let's hear Kirby get mad at Peter Ducey for asking him what Joe Biden has been doing since he's got so much time on his hands, since he's sheltered in place at the White House. What the hell is that opposed to how he normally is? Mm. said that there is not a, a <laughs> call scheduled with Xi. Is there a reason why? Because President Biden's known him for decades. Yeah. He's got a lot of free time up there in the residence this week. He doesn't have free time. He, he's, is there a he's, reason he can't he's, just pick up the phone and he's call? He's been working all the way through his illness quite I'm sure he has. So that's a little bit insulting. And um, as for a it's call, it is. To, to it is. That someone who is isolating by themselves. You suggested he has a lot of free time as if he's not doing anything, and you know that's not the case, Mr. Ducey. Now, look, as for a call with President Xi, I don't have anything on the president's schedule to speak to. If ever the president felt like a call with President Xi was the appropriate way to respond or that it would, uh, that it would have an effect and an outcome that he wants to achieve, he certainly would be willing to do that. He's talked to she uh, now five times. It's not like he's afraid to pick up the phone and, and call uh, President Xi. And if there's a, a, a if a call is the right answer, um, I'm sure that President Biden will do that. But I'm not going to get ahead of the president on this. I do want to. Nancy Pelosi got ahead of the president on it. Yep. I said it before, but I I do think that your question begs me to say it again. That the lines of communication are still open with Beijing, and we're using those lines of communication. And I think you'll see that uh, in days to come as, as well. That's really important, and that's one of the reasons why. President Biden made that call a week or so ago was to make sure, and you saw it in Kareem's readout, to make sure that you know, those lines of communication stay open, and, and they are. So, in Biden world this week, while everything else is going on, we're lying about the benefits of the inflation bill. Abortion is still the worst thing in the history of all things. And there has been no direct communication between, he wasn't saying she, her, he was talking about Xi Jinping. Um, it would have been funny if he uh, was like, who? Yeah, or how dare you. But there was some real stuff going on this week. Um, we, we had a couple Senate hearings, and we're going to hear in the rest of this news block and then in our last one. Um, first of its kind, Noah, I'm pretty sure that you'll be excited to hear this one because it's going to put an actual end to pandemics. This is the first ever gain of research. Gain of com- function? Gain of function research committee. Chaired by Ron Johnson, mm. who has put his career, uh, political career on the line for standing up to all the COVID bullshit. Nice. And uh, Rand Paul, Josh Hawley, and others were there with him. And I've pulled some clips so we can kind of, you know. Well, all this stuff's going get, to get traction now just because people are, like, you can't not notice it now. Like, you can't be like, like, I saw a fucking article that was, it literally said a guy died of happiness. Like, he passed this fucking exam, and the relief caused him to have a heart attack. Like, you can't make this shit up. Like, people, the general public, like, the guys that are wearing the mask over their eyes and their mouth and wherever else, like, you can't can't be a sane person and see this stuff and just not be like, "Mm, maybe there's a little something. I don't know if you've read it lately, but napping 
greatly increases your chance of sudden death syndrome now. Studies will show. Studies. Yeah. Studies. Let's hear one of the witnesses, Dr. Kevin Esvelt, who all of these people partnered in some way or collaborated with Dr. Fauci and the NIH. So that's where you know you're getting your credibility from. Mm. Uh, Let's hear some brief remarks from his opening statement. The problem is that we are so used to thinking of pandemics as a health and safety issue that we've missed the national security implications of identifying viruses that could be deliberately unleashed to kill millions of people. Let me illustrate. When the genome of SARS-2 was first posted online, scientists didn't have to wait for physical samples of the virus to become available to begin studying it and working on countermeasures. That's because we could order synthetic DNA corresponding to the genome of the pathogen and assemble infectious samples using freely available step-by-step protocols. From a biomedical perspective, that is a triumph, particularly because it only costs a few thousand dollars and the price is plummeting. But from a security perspective, that means that thousands of researchers could gain access to a novel pandemic agent as soon as it was identified as such. Mm. So that's scarier than anything I've ever heard before in my life. Mm, yeah. I'm telling you, no, we're going to get to the bottom of this. One person who's been working since day one is Dr. Rand Paul. Um, he knows that global pandemics do have the potential to essentially wipe out the earth, but it's how we did stuff with this one that raised the biggest concerns for him and some of his other fellow congressmen in the Senate. Uh, let's hear him kind of dig into this guy a little bit. Gain of function research has the potential to unleash a global pandemic that threatens the lives of millions. Yet this is the first time the issue has been discussed in a congressional committee. Mm-hmm. I'm sure each member of this committee, as well as the full Senate, can agree that we need stronger government oversight of how our tax dollars are being used to finance experimenting with mute, uh, with possibly fatal diseases. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Josh Hawley had some bangers in this one. And uh, the first one's about gain of function as well. He kind of piggybacked off to what Rand Paul was saying. And this person that's answering this question is another PhD who was connected to the NIH and worked directly with all these people um, alongside Dr. Fauci, Dr. Quay. Let's hear Josh Hawley ask some questions about this gain of function. Continuation and expansion of Chinese gain-of-function research? Well, I think I testified here that, they, that on, in December 2019, they were doing synthetic biology on a cloning vector of the Nipah virus, which is 60% lethal. We just experienced a 1% lethal virus. Uh, my estimates would be that that could set us back a millennium. Um, the, the Black Plague was a 20% lethal event, and it was 250 years for civilization to return. Mm. How does that make you feel? I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. Oh, no, he confirmed it. As recent as 2019, they were messing around with one of these viruses, uh, the Nipah virus, which has a 60% mortality mortality rate. Yeah. I wonder if uh, some of the biolabs in Ukraine might have been... Sure hope not, because I would hate to see that get into the wrong hands. 
Yeah. And then I didn't know the exact numbers on the Black Plague. It always sounds like it was the worst pandemic in the history of pandemics. Apparently, this one was it coming in at a whopping 1%. But that the Black Plague was 20? Yeah. It took 250 years for the population of the world to recover? Yeah, Black Plague was some serious shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we're talking about one that's three times as powerful in a lot more crowded planet? Well, we'll get to those numbers if they want. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Hawley would come back with, um, it's literally, <laughs> it's like the, the shit that's on the Georgia Guidestones. It's like Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I have to do what I need to do. Yeah. Fuck. He's the only one that understands. Right. Now we know what the end of the show clip's going to be. Um, he was going to follow up on some things that came out of the NIH from Dr. Ebright and Francis Collins, the disgraced former head of the NIH, and Dr. Anthony Fauci, internal emails and, and text messages and things back and forth about what was going on in Wuhan. We all know that they lied about it, but it, it was on display right here in some of his comments. That you have commented on with regard to what NIH and Dr. Fauci have said, and frankly, the lies they've been caught in regarding the coronavirus, I want to highlight two of them. In response to a congressional inquiry from October of 2021, just last year, the NIH attempted to walk back assertions by NIH Director Collins and Fauci that NIH had not funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan. You commented at the time saying, and I'm going to quote you now, NIH, specifically Collins, Fauci, and Tabak lied to Congress, lied to the press, Mm. and lied to the public Mm. knowingly, willfully, brazenly. Damn. On May the 11th, Dr. Fauci said the NIH and NAIAD categorically has not funded gain-of-function research Lies. to be conducted in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. You commented on that, saying the documents make it clear that assertions by the NIH director, Francis Collins, and Fauci that the NIH did not support gain-of-function research are untruthful. So just expand on that, if you would. I mean, what are the implications of Dr. Fauci's continued blatant dishonesty regarding NIH's funding of gain-of-function research in Wuhan. I stand by my statement. The statements made on repeated occasions to the public, to the press, and to policymakers uh, by the NIA director, uh, Dr. Fauci, have been untruthful. I do not understand why those statements are being made because they are demonstrably false. Mm. Bet you like that one, Noah. Mm. These guys literally had free reign to ruin our country. And now whistleblowers are coming out because they see the writing on the walls. Listen, every time. Yeah, it's going to be like, oh, well, I guess we better get ahead of this because we're going to get held accountable now. Yeah, every time Donald Trump holds a rally or every time the vote totals come in from one of these midterm election primaries, those guys know they either have the chance to save face or it's going to be their asses to the wall, too. And, uh,. You know, at the end of the day, Dr. Fauci's made millions off of all the other bullshit that he does with pharmaceutical companies and all of the, whatever the crap, you know, the, the way he's been able to grift off the government. If he loses his pension, it's not enough. It needs to be more. And uh, I, I feel like there will be some justice for that. I really hope that guy takes it not only in the wallet, but I hope his entire legacy is released or at least exposed. Last clip we're going to hear in this segment is, uh, f- well, from the committee chair, and it's going to be Ron Johnson. And, you know, he's talking about, okay, we've heard all of these statements. We, we've been able to collaborate. There was definitely some myths, truths, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, what are we doing here? Well, let's, let's hear the senator from Wisconsin weigh in. In your testimony, I'm assuming all three of you would agree with this statement that 
this research and I would say even the the mining of dangerous potential pathogens, you know, go, go crawl in a bat cave to try and pull these things out and bring them into a lab. There's certainly no benefit that overrides the risk. We shouldn't be doing this at all. Yeah, I call it gain of function and gain of opportunity where you bring a virus back. Uh, and as I said, my analysis is that it hasn't contributed to the response to this pandemic. So we shouldn't do it. I mean, we shouldn't be, you're, we can talk about controls, but bottom line, we shouldn't have controls because we shouldn't even do it. Is that your position as well? For balancing the potential benefits of prevention against the risk of accidents, it can go either way, depending on the numbers you use for those. You can reasonably come out with either answer. <clears throat> when you add the misuse case, that is what absolutely blows it out of the water. Dr. Ebright? I believe a strong case can be made, or a case can be made, that certain components of gain-of-function research of concern particularly components involving pathogens that are currently in human populations yep. are categorically separate and more justifiable than other components of gain-of-function research of concern. For example, currently SARS-CoV-2, the virus responsible for COVID, is present in millions of humans and is generating variant after variant. Gain-of-function research of concern on SARS-CoV-2 involving the creation of new variants and analysis of the threat posed by them uh, arguably can be justified because this is not creating new health threats that won't arise without intervention, but is addressing a health threat that's in place currently. For that reason and for reasons like that, I believe enhancing the oversight of the research is a more effective and more prudent strategy than simply banning it. I would say improve oversight, but would you also agree dramatically limit it? Absolutely. And, that, and that's the biggest component of it. Should we be doing it all over the world? Should we be outsourcing it to our biggest geopolitical enemy on the planet, China, even if we have people that work with them hand-in-hand -hand in the lab? How's that working for us on the space station right now with the Russians? You know, they said they're ending their space program uh, joint effort with us at, at the end of this year and they're going to build their own fucking space station with fucking lasers on top probably and you know but if you, if you think japan or i'm sorry china gets into uh you know something that's really able to be hung over our head in regards to this research like a real planet killer uh you don't think they're going to just kick us out and tell them you know go fuck yourselves uh now we got the bomb we got the weapon and it's one of those things where listen I know it sounds like more of the same with these congressional hearings, but as we get closer to the midterms and the oversight that's going to come afterwards, think of these hearings right now as like the play-in round of the playoffs, the wild card game. They're just getting started. And then they move on to the formal rounds of the playoff all the way up until after the midterm elections when the actual congressional hearings begin and you see inquiries that could lead to indictments and things of that nature. So we'll keep our eyes on it. They're doing decent work in the Senate right now. I'll give you a, like a bonus as, as we end news too. So I, I saw you, Noah, you probably saw it because you're our, our chief military strategist on the show. Um, they had the vote for adding the to countries to NATO alliance uh, this week in the Senate. And it passed 98 to one in one. Uh, Senator Rand Paul voted as president, and Senator Hawley was the only senator in Congress to vote no. Of course. So, feeding the military-industrial complex, num, num, num. You, you had two people in the Senate actually stand up and, and make a stand. Need more than two. 
You certainly do. And we've got, looking at the board right now, at least five or six that are going to be helping out after the midterm elections if people like Jack Posobiec stop talking shit about Dr. Oz. And uh, we can get all these other guys in here. But, um, you know, we'll continue to keep an eye on this. I, I think News 3 is going to be even better because we have the FBI. That was really an eye-opening experience yesterday. I was watching part of it, and I could feel, like, my mouth dropping. Um, but we're going to be switching gears right now and sitting down with another guest. All right, jumping in next with us on the show today. She works at Getter Headquarters. She also worked on the uh, 2020 presidential campaign for Donald Trump. She's joining us for the first time. We're very excited to sit down and have a little discussion with her. Kingsley Cortez, thanks for coming on. How's everything going on your end? Everything is good, yeah. Here in D.C., um, working with Getter, um, and we're really excited about what the future holds for our platform. Um, we are, you know, sort of the all-in-one free speech platform. Um, functionally, I would say we feel a lot like a Twitter um, but obviously we don't cancel you for saying that you think the election was rigged or that you won't be forced to take the jab. Um, we also have some cool features. We have longer posts. We have live streaming. Um, and we've just recently rolled out Vision, which is our TikTok kind of Instagram Reels competitor. So I think in a lot of ways, we're really the one-stop shop um, for content creators and just everyday people, you know, who want to express themselves without fear of online censorship, who don't want to be beholden to these Silicon Valley oligarchs, you know, no matter their political beliefs. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, you know, a game changer when you have, you know, what, whether it be Jason Miller or Raheem Kassam, they go on any of their social media platforms and say, I'm going to be live on Getter, taking questions in like five minutes. And then you just literally click on the box and, and there he is in his newly redesigned home studio answering questions and uh that that's pretty comprehensive when it comes to the social media platforms i think that's uh like you said one of the game changers how has the whole experience been i mean it's kind of hard probably to elbow your way in on to uh, against all of the bigger platforms like twitter and things like that how's it been getting this thing off the ground and having as much success as you guys have had with it Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a challenge, right? The system, if you think like we do, the system is totally and completely rigged against you, right? So it's definitely a challenge. Um, It's difficult to find, you know, servers that will host you, lawyers that will, you know, give you legal advice. Just every step of the way, it's a fight, right? But it's so important that we be engaged in that fight because I talk to a lot of conservatives and they say, you know, well, maybe Elon Musk will save us. He'll change Twitter and everything will be better. We can't rely on a single, you know, billionaire to solve all of our problems. That's not, you know, a a conducive strategy for success. Um, So what we have to do is really just be, you know, engaging in hand-to-hand combat out there, whether you're at a platform like Parler, Truth Social, truth social or getter you know we're not going to have just one of these platforms challenge the big tech oligarchs it's going to have to be all of us banding together whether that's the average user whether that's people working at these sort of alternative platforms and companies um, or politicians in dc trying to pass you know trust busting big tech bills Um, We're all going to have to work together because big tech has become such a behemoth and they've become so brazen and so emboldened that they truly think they are kings and that they can tell you what you can and cannot say online. Yeah, I know you mentioned at the top that you guys were just opening up a, well, starting to open up a D.C. office bureau down there. How's that rollout been going and uh, what's the team looking like to get into to kind of expand the reach of Getter? 
Yeah, no, it's been great. Like I said, um, you know, we're excited about what the future holds. We did just celebrate um, on July 4th. We celebrated our one year anniversary um, and we notched 6 million users worldwide. We're in 192 countries. Um, and recently we just surpassed 200 million live stream views since we launched that feature in October of 2021. So, you know, as we grow as a platform and add more users and new features, obviously we're hiring like crazy, right? So we needed more space. Um, our headquarters will always be in New York because eventually we hope to launch sort of a getter pay. So we want to be a little bit in the financial services business. So that's why our headquarters is in um, New York, but that's a long-term goal. You know, right now we're just really focused on free speech, um, freedom from censorship. And I think that a lot of our biggest allies um, in that field are in DC. They're former, you know, Trump campaign officials and people of that nature. So we have a big team here and we're excited to be opening up an office um, and hopefully just continuing to grow and bring the product to new people. Yeah, we know uh, Gavin Wax was sad to see you go. He's one of your buddies. He's also a great friend of our show. He comes on all the time. You know, any, 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 yeah, anytime there's a big topic that I see him popping off online about, I said, hey, you could always come on Tuesday or Friday and uh, talk a little mess with us about it. And he's always inclined to jump on. So it's good to have him, uh, you know, connected to us as well. And uh, I do want to touch on some of the things that, that you worked on previously together. So Trump 2020 campaign, uh, you talk about former administration officials and uh, uh, advisors. How was it working on that? And what was the experiences like going through that? That was a crazy uh, election cycle right there. Oh, it was, yeah, whirlwind. I feel like I could talk about it forever. Um, but obviously, you know, working on the Trump campaign is the honor of a lifetime. So I, I feel so fortunate to have had that opportunity, you know, and to work for some someone that I think is truly incredible and, and just to help with a movement that, you know, I believe in and that I believe will do immense good for our country. Um, you know, Andrew Jackson once said, one man with courage makes a majority. And I think for conservatives, Trump really was that man. He was kind of the first one to challenge, you know, the global elites, the party of Davos, um, the financial and corporate elites who just harbor immense disdain for traditional traditional Americans and for their values. And I think, you know, for me and for a lot of patriots around the country, Trump was really in many ways like a great revealer. You know, he exposed the endemic corruption of the Washington establishment and and showed all of us really, you know, the swamp's true colors. I mean, before Trump, I certainly didn't grasp just how much the ruling class, you know, despises those of us outside of the beltway. Like I said earlier, they've completely rigged the system against us. Um, they've prevented us from accumulating wealth. Um, they've sent our children to die in endless foreign wars. Yep. They've stolen our elections. Um, they've canceled us online in real life. Um, so we have to hold them accountable. And um, I think, you know, being a part of a movement that is determined not only to reveal the corruption and to expose them, um, but to also work to end them and, you know, fix the situation was really, really wonderful. Um, obviously, the election being stolen, it didn't go the way that uh, we all had hoped on the campaign. I do think that we made a lot of unforced errors, and I'm happy to get into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a wonderful experience. Um, and I don't think that, you know, it was the first act, I will say, of dismantling the Washington machine. I don't think we've seen the last of Trump, and we certainly haven't seen the last of the America First movement. No, I like that. And I like where you went with it. It's going to segue perfectly. But I do want to stay in that just for a sec. 
Now let's talk about some of those missteps. I published a Substack in the last 24 hours, and it talks about the immense success that we're having along the campaign trail in this year's midterm elections, which I do want to touch on you with a bit. But the fact of the matter is we're seeing a lot of the things historically that have been challenges to the Republicans in regards to having these candidates resonate with the population and getting the voters motivated and out. Uh, in addition to some other things, we have seen some historically uh, reliable polling sources like Trafalgar and 585 give extremely misleading polls, close to 10% in this, especially the Arizona races, which kind of, you know, induces laziness maybe from the voter base. And mm -hmm. uh, we, we've seen a lot of mixed messaging. You know, we, we have John Gibbs on the show uh, several times throughout the course. He was probably one of the finest candidates in the entire midterms based on the fact of how hard he worked in the first Trump administration and what he brings to the table as a future House representative. But, I mean, they call him the crazy fringe portions of, like, the MAGA movement, the past the extreme right. The guy's a Harvard graduate who went on a Christian mission worldwide, speaks Mandarin, and served in the HUD department with Dr. Ben Carson. Like, how fringe and radically you know, um, ultra conservative can you be, at, you know, they just the, some of the things that we're up against. And then, you know, we're seeing it, it most recently with the Carrie Lake thing. I mean, they just totally wind out of the sails, not allowing her to celebrate the victory that she earned. We had very strong eyes in Arizona throughout this campaign. That entire ticket's been on the show multiple times. I think Carrie Lake's been on five or six times with us. We, do, we have done some really personal interviews with her and got to know her heart. We made it out to the Arizona rally uh, at the end of July and got to see how many people are motivated to do it. And it just seems like that whole, you know, support system for the establishment rhinos and the Democrats is still in place, alive and well. And it seems like it's going to be more focused on this midterm election than ever because this is the base that's going to allow Donald Trump to have a smoother transition back into the uh, general election race in just a few months here. Right. Yeah. No. And I think what's most frustra frustrating, you talk about, you know, the rhinos and how they're still, you know, nagging the movement in a sense. And I think um, that's the most, I think, frustrating part for me, right? Because we're constantly stepping on our own toes and we're making so many unforced errors. Um, on the campaign, I worked in the strategy department directly for Jason Miller, who was the senior advisor for strategy on that campaign. Um, and, you know, I can tell you just being in campaign headquarters every day, we had senior senior staff scared to death of COVID. Um, we had senior staff taking orders from, you know, the likes of Ivanka, Brooke Rollins, Jared Kushner. Um, and we had a campaign. I think our biggest mistake was we had a campaign dedicated to chasing a black vote that we will never win right. um, with things like the Platinum Plan and the First Step Act, you know, amid nationwide riots and looting, the quote unquote summer of love. We decided to pursue the First Step Act and, you know, <laughs> prison reform. Um, just a total unforced error, a total misstep. And, you know, we had, that was the beginning of the men dominating women's sports movement. Um, just a lot of this ludicrous LGBTQ stuff that we're seeing today in schools. And we had gays for Trump as a campaign coalition. Um, so, you know, and now every day we watch on TV, former Trump campaign officials disparaging, you know, President Trump and our movement in front of the sham January 6th committee. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, I think that 
the 2016, I, in my view, a lot of this is driven by the absence of Bannon on the 2020 campaign. Um, but I think that the 2016 campaign um, really clung to the nationalist populist message, right? We were so committed to rejecting Wall Street corporatists K-street globalists um, who for decades offshored American jobs and really facilitated the managed decline of the Western system. That was, you know, we stuck hard to that message. And I think, unfortunately, sadly, the 2020 leadership um, really kind of dropped the ball in many ways. I mean, there were individuals who I think just didn't fully grasp um, what the America First movement is. There were certainly rhinos, you know, um, hidden in that campaign. So we have to continue to weed those people out um, and to move for, forward with the America First message because I can tell you one thing. I've, I've gone to a few Trump rallies myself. The most recent one I went to was the J.D. Vance, Ohio one. Okay. Um, and when you, when you talk to people, you know, they f- make you feel like you're a rhino. I consider myself super far right, super radical, but they make me feel like a rhino. These people are so with the America First message. They know that the system is rigged against them. They know the election was stolen, and they're not forgetting it. They're fired up. So this is the winning message. We know that. We just have to make sure um, that everyone on our side is towing the line and that we're all working together. Yeah, I mean, you say a lot of things that make sense there. Uh we have heard, well, we've, we've talked to pretty much everyone who still works for President Trump as regards to former administration officials. You know, Cash mm-hmm. comes on this show frequently. Matt Whitaker has been on with us. Rick Rennell's turning into a reoccurring guest. And, you know, people that are still doing a lot of the groundwork for him, Amanda Milius, frequent steak for breakfast. And, uh, you know, we've talked to some of the people who were connected to that original War Room crew like you talked about. You know, I've messaged Jason online. Uh, Boris does at least a monthly segment with us. And uh, I have a pretty good relationship, you know, talking-wise with Raheem Kassam. And it seems like one of the things that all of those people agree with, just like you said, a lot of the original message in 2016, the the meat and potatoes of it, the saying the wall would get 10 feet higher, the saying because you'd be in jail, like that message was absent from, you know, the physicality part of the campaign trail. And like you said, you guys tried to go in so many different directions, gays for Trump, blacks for Trump, this for Trump, that for Trump. It kind of didn't resonate. Like you spread yourself too thin. And and we always talk about the 2020 presidential election was not a referendum on Donald Trump. Gaining 13 million more votes than you did in your first election. That's pretty good. Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's not saying that the American public doesn't love you and the things, well, the promises kept. But the fact of the matter is if some of those messages were maybe a little bit more targeted and directed at the base and had a little bit more of them, uh, you know, motivated to do work, we we couldn't really forecast how much of COVID they were going to use to fraudulently conduct operations throughout the country, especially in like the blue wall states and Philadelphia, Atlanta, places like that, all the different things that happened. And of course, you know, we saw just as most recent as this week, the same problems we ran into in Arizona are, are still very prevalent and worrisome. However, we do have two strong models to use for our base. We now have in Glenn Youngkin's general election uh, win and Kerry Lake's primary win, over 75% of the day of voter base came out day of the election and and cast their votes, you know, which pretty much breaks the system. And uh, it's one of the things moving forward that, you know, we're going to have to keep at the the forefront of what we do to motivate our um, voting base. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, even if you look at Joe Kent's um, yeah. race, we still don't know the winner, right? That's that's totally unacceptable, guys, yep. that, you know, in a country as wonderful as ours that we can't figure out how to count an election. And it's just, it's, it's so frustrating, right? Because so many other countries, you look at France, for example, they just had a presidential election recently. They have voter ID, they have paper ballots in person. They're very, very strict about who is allowed absentee. And it's one day, it's game day voting, one day. That's what we need to do in this country. And I, we have to fight for that on the GOP side. I know a lot of times, you know, election integrity isn't at the forefront um, of a lot of our party's agenda, but it has to be because you're right, this is so important. And we're seeing them do it again in Arizona. Um, and they'll just continue to do what they did in 2020 over and over again until we put a stop to it, right? Um, and, you know, talking about all of the mistakes that we made on the campaign in 2020, I do think it's important, you know, to be introspective and to, to you know, look back. But of course, hindsight is 2020. And I think the most important lesson from 2020 is to remember what they did to us. Right. Yeah. Um, they, they stole this election um, clear as day. And. You know, it wasn't just at the ballot with the box dumps, all of that stuff, um, people being mailed multiple ballots or to residences they didn't live in anymore. It wasn't just that. You know, this was stolen on so many levels. You look at Nevada and Pennsylvania, they changed their election laws like thieves in the middle of the night. Um, and it was completely unconstitutional. But, you know, they just they got away with it. And yeah. then you look at how the mainstream media colluded um, with the intelligence community to censor the Hunter Biden story. You weren't allowed to post that New York Post story about the Hunter Biden laptop on Twitter at all. Their account was locked for six days, in fact, for even running the story. Um, so, you know, it's really important, yes, to look at what we did wrong, what we can do better next time. And I think returning to the 2016 messaging is what we can certainly do better next time. Um, but also we have to realize that they did steal this election for us and we have to hold them accountable come 2024. We have to push for election um, reform. We have to push for voter ID. All of these little things, they matter, right? They turn into the big things. Yeah, they certainly do. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about that original messaging. I think one of the things that all of those, you know, personalities from the former administration have to say come on our show I think Peter Navarro gave us a really good narrative on it a couple times ago when he was on, is that getting as much as that original band back together, you know, it's a shame that there were only three or four administration officials who made it all four years. You know, Peter Navarro was one of them, obviously Dan Scavino, Stephen Miller. I think there was one more. But, you know, besides that, the, the interchangeable parts, like they do realize now in Trump world that they need at least 10,000 federal workers ready to go like on day one. And they had four years to identify a lot of the issues that were going on within the federal government, within the federal agencies, large portions of the administrative state. And then when you talk about all those different, you know, uh, angles of fraud they use, you referenced one of the things we like to point out is that Time Magazine article that came out in February of uh, 2021 that outlined how former Obama administration officials collaborated with, like, the teacher unions and the largest unions uh, mm -hmm. for the workforce in, in the country to basically run this whole mass messaging campaign is this is how they were going to do it. They were going to get Republican poll watchers and poll officials out of there. They were going to make mail-in balloting and, uh, you know, ballot harvesting and using all the Zuckerbucks money and all those states as easy to do as possible. And they were just going to pretend like that was the way it was going to be. And they were going to use it all under the guise of COVID. And uh, 
you know, they kind of stuck us. But I think the thing that resonates now is, especially after this Arizona election that we had this week and, and what we will get from the disposition of the Joe Kent one, I know you mentioned that. It's a damn shame that that total election will be under 100,000 ballots total. I think well short of 100,000 ballots on the Republican side. And we're now like day four with maybe a disposition coming out by tonight with Joe Kent now within, I think, like 1,800 votes of uh, via the jungle primary getting into the general election. So we'll have to see what happens there. But, you know, it's, it, it's just a shame. But I, I do think the nationalist populist movement is alive and well. We've seen both the good and bad portions of what MAGA really looks like. I think some of the good things that Donald Trump is doing right now is weeding out some of those problems and issues that he had maybe towards the back end of the first presidency. And, uh, you know, it, it falls a lot on the, on the voter base to get out there and make it happen. And, uh, you know, if, if we're all really getting crushed every way, shape or form internationally, Southern border, gas pump, inflation rates, job market, indoctrinating kids in school, it's only one way to change it, get the right people in there. And it seems like based off of his endorsement record right now, uh, we're well on pace to maybe do that this November. Yeah, no, definitely. There are a ton of 2022 candidates I'm super excited about who I think are willing to be really, you know, America first fighters a lot that you've mentioned that it seems like you've had on this show. That's great. Um, And I think, you know, the populace is fired up. There was a recent Yahoo News poll that came out that said just 18 percent of Americans want Biden to run for reelection in 2024. So I think a lot of people are rightfully unhappy with the trajectory of the nation right now. You know, they see the skyrocketing inflation. We're officially in a recession. Like you said, our border is completely porous. Drugs and human traffickers are pouring through it every single day. Um, We're sending billions and billions um, to fund a war worlds away, um, the Ukraine war um, in which, you know, America really has no vested interest. Um, So I think there's a lot of reasons for the American public to be really, really angry. Um, And I hope that, you know, that anger sort of propels them to go to the polls in 2022 and 2024, because I think I talk about this a lot. I think um, conservatives are often honest um, and good almost to a fault, right? That's a great trait, a great value that a lot of people um, on our side bring. Um, But we're dealing with people who are not good, who are inherently evil, who will cheat the system. Um, So we have to, you know, they have their dirty lawyers. We have to have our dirty lawyers. We have to be able and willing, even though I think for a lot of our side, it's uncomfortable. We have to get in the fight, um, hand-to-hand combat. We have to be street fighters. Um, we have to get up in these people's faces. We have to fight our corner. Um, you know, no more time for principled conservatism or for being careful or for doing, you know, exactly what our polling says. We have to be aggressive or we're going to wake up and our country's going to be gone. You know, I really do believe that we are on a trajectory of either decline um, or finally throwing off the yoke of this corrupt bureaucratic ruling class. Um, So it's going to fall one way or the other, right? And we have to ensure that it falls our way, the right way. Yeah, I mean, you're right. This is, I I do think we're in the early stages of the final battle for like, honestly, the heart and soul of this country. Uh, Mm -hmm. we, We see attacks on the Supreme Court, on the Constitution itself in regards to, you know, everything from non-abortion rights that aren't written into it to uh, the right to bear arms and, and, and things of that nature. In addition to, you know, we people don't understand or, or really fathom, well, people in Washington, D.C. and, and New York are starting to feel it because the migrants are getting bust there by, by the yeah. thousands. But 
the loss of sovereignty we really go through when we have a southern border like this. The first time in since the World War II generation where geopolitically we are not the shining beacon for other countries. Uh, we've seen leadership collapse throughout the world. Uh, you know, we've had change of the guard in England, referendum in France. They had the prime minister of Italy step down. Shinzo Abe was assassinated. You know, Donald Trump's stolen election. These things all connect. And, and when China and Russia and Iran and, you know, the Taliban see this is what the United States is really like right now, like it's, it used to be like toe to the line, stick my toe over, toe gets smashed, toe goes back. And now it's just like, well, figuratively and literally, tanks driving across the border into other countries and, and you know, China shooting rockets over Taiwan. Uh, while we're having the Speaker of the House of the United States that unilaterally deciding to go there against the wishes of the State Department and the DOD and the President of the United States. These are unprecedented times, and if we don't stand up now, um, there's a good chance that we could lose it. But it's like you said, I'm also an optimist. I think it's going to get a little bit more uncomfortable for us as conservatives. Not us, maybe, but like the people who have been around a little bit longer than we have. And uh, getting outside of that comfort box is the only way we're going to get this country back. Right. No, exactly. I mean, like you say, we're not respected um, by our adversaries. We're not feared by our enemies anymore. And yeah, unfortunately, I don't think that we really are that shining city on the hill um, in terms of how the rest of the world views us. And I would even, you know, push that further and say, I don't think a large um, segment of our population is even proud to be American anymore. You know, I think that we have lost sight of our cultural identity as Americans. We can't even agree on, you know, the definition of a man versus a woman. Um, So we are just really in trouble, right? Because if you don't have a culture, you don't have a country. And unfortunately, I think a lot of this is due to the influx in migrants um, that we see at our Southern border. And just, you know, really since the 1965 immigration act, we've just poured in um, immigrants to, you know, some of them are great, but a large number of them perhaps don't share our values or our culture, and they're not particularly interested in assimilating. I, I recently tweeted and got a ton of backlash for it, um, but recently tweeted, um, you know, why do we celebrate American citizens um, identifying as, you know, Cuban-American or Chinese-American, whatever, um, Italian-American, whatever, you know, their country they hail from is, um, because, you know, If you go back um, in time before 1965, before that Immigration Act, people were proud to be Americans that once they came here, you know, they assumed that identity. They um, subscribed to our heritage, to our culture. Um, And unfortunately, we've we've really lost that. I think if you ask the average person just on the street, you know, what is American culture? They might say something super surface level like oh, baseball or food. But, you know, culture is so much deeper than that. And for any civilization to really work, um, you need to have a shared sense of unity and culture. Um, And those are things like, you know, how you view self, how you view your view, your government, how you view your neighbor, um, how you view religion's role in your country. Um, So, you know, these are deeper, um, much more philosophical questions that, you know, our founders were geniuses. They laid so much of this out for us. Um, but unfortunately we've just really kind of disregarded it. Um, and it, I mean, a large part of that too, is that our children are being taught to hate their history and hate their heritage, right. From such a young age, young, um, 
white preschool boys are being told, you know, you're a rapist, you're also like, you're also racist. And, you know, you need to spend your life paying for the sins um, of slavery, which, you know, you never committed yourself. It's just absolutely ludicrous. Um, You're the oppressor. Yeah. They're teaching children to be ashamed of where, you know, America came from. And I think until we combat that, um, we won't be able to kind of grasp um, and cling on to a shared sense of cultural unity. Yeah, and I think, you know, the pushback comes from the from the progressive left so hard right now, and it's on so many different levels. You know, everyone who works for the federal government, their buttholes tightened up a little bit a few weeks ago when Donald Trump went and gave that <laughs> policy speech at the uh, America First Legal Institute talking about making Schedule F something permanent. Our listenership is extremely uh, educated on what that is, but... You know, Donald Trump's, listen, we're not even into like the campaign portion of the presidential election yet. Wait till he starts talking about getting rid of, you know, the Department of Education and breaking up that National Teachers Union. Like that is definitely coming because he knows they were a huge thorn in his side, not only throughout his presidency, but then afterward blaming everything on COVID for him when the only thing that it hurt was the kids whose educations may never be gained back because of you know, what the public school system is going through now because of these low income and and migrant, you know, populations in the major cities across the country that are just driving our test scores down. Like we have test scores in this country right now for math, reading and and writing that we've never had before. And test scores are racist now. How dare me? But it's, (laughs) it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, really great doctor, radio host and podcaster once said, if you don't have borders, language and culture, you don't have a country. Mm hmm. And that's something that I was raised on. You know, my dad used to put that on in the car all the time, and we used to hear him say it every single day. And it's just something, now that I see it with my own eyes, you know, being an adult and having children who went through COVID, my daughter ran into some issues with school last year. I mean, she obviously recovered because we were fortunate enough to be able to give her the academic support she needed. But it's just like she was having trouble in school, and, like, we went and talked to her teacher, and she's like, yeah, she just pretends like my daughter would fill up every piece of the paper with the wrong stuff because she didn't understand it to make it look like she did work. And then when we like kind of confronted her on it, she's like, well, I don't know what you want me to do. I was home for like the last year and I would just press a button until it said right and move on to the next page. Yeah. And it's a shame. Like that stuff is, you know, unrecoverable from in a lot of cases and a lot of places where parents don't have support in the home or, you know, additional resources in some of those extremely urban areas where public schools just can't give it to them. And, right. uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, we really need to get the focus on again. This this current generation of young folks in this country is, there's a good part of it, but there's an overwhelming majority that's just lost. And we need to, like, start bringing them back. Doesn't mean they have to all come in and be ultra MAGA, but they have to be, like, kind of American again. It's just one of the things that... You know, our country needs, they always do those roving reporters of like, you know, you'll see Fleckus do it or uh, Dice will do it and he'll go out and they'll they'll ask like Jesse Waters does it all the time and they ask like history questions and like he goes back after the segment. He's like, I wish we edited that, but those are the real answers. (laughs) Right, definitely. And yeah, you talk about young people and, you know, I'm definitely a little bit older than your daughter. Um, I'm someone, you know, who (laughs) hopes to get married soon and start a family soon. And I think a lot of my generation really also feels that our birthright has been taken from us in a lot of ways. You know, the, the thought of buying a home 
um, or supporting children feel so far out of reach, right? My generation, we live like landless serfs. Um, we rent for eternity, right? We'll never own a home. Um, and that really wasn't the case even, you know, 20, 40 years ago. No. My, my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation, they were pretty easily able to support a large family and own a home on a single income. Um, so I think, you know, if we are really going to be a party for children, for um, future families, um, that is a policy issue. I know Blake Masters has been really, really advocating for this. That's a policy issue that really, really excites me and that I think could change the trajectory of our country just, you know, overnight if we made it possible again um, to raise a family on one income. Um, and, you know, that's something that countries like Hungary have started to yeah. pursue with tax credits, various things like that. So I think there are a lot of pro-family policies um, that we can use. And again, this goes back to my point about conservatives being aggressive. Um, I, you know, will bring this up with the, you know, old guard Republicans, the traditional kind of rhinos, um, as we call them. And, you know, they say, oh, that's, that's big government. We don't want to do that. Big government is here. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's never going away. Mm -hmm. Welfare state, we are never getting rid of, like, I wish we could obviously, but we've gone down that road. It's done. Let's use it to further our goals, right? Because that's what the left has been doing for the last 20 years. And they've been totally beating us, you yep. know, in every corner. So we we really need to push for our agenda using the power of the government or not. Um, I know, you know, if you look at DeSantis in Florida, I think he's probably the best governor at doing this. Um, he just fired the AG yesterday yeah. or a couple days ago, um, who said he would not comply, you know, with the states cracking down on trans stuff among youth. Uh, so I think that, you know, we need more of that in our movement. We need people like DeSantis, like masters who are willing to say, this is my policy goal by any means necessary. I'm going to pursue it because I know that it will save this country. Yeah, you're certainly right. And it's one of those things where, you know, you watch people like Ron DeSantis work in his country, and that was amazing to see. I mean, he had a – I saw the other day Ron DeSantis is going live, so I, I jumped in to, like, look at it, and he's like, listen, Florida is a state of laws. He's like, I know there's a lot of states out there that, like, they have laws in the books and, like, people beat people within an inch of their life. They commit murder. They do bad stuff to cops, and, like, they get fingerprinted and they get released. He's like, we don't do that shit in Florida. He's like, I'm firing my attorney general because they don't want to adhere to the laws that are on the books here in Florida. He's like, we're just not going to have it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we need to see more stuff like that. Kingsley, this has been great sitting down with you for the first time today. I'm really hoping that it's not the last because from what I thought, this conversation can go in several different directions. It definitely went down the right one, figuratively mm -hmm. and literally. And uh, I think our listenership is going to really enjoy getting to know you a little bit more today. And uh, for all those who don't follow you on social media already, where can our listenership find you? Yeah, so obviously I'll throw out my Getter handle first since I work there. Um, follow me on Getter. It's G-T-T-R. And my name is just my first and last name, Kingsley Cortez with an S. And it's the same on Twitter. So, yeah, follow me on both places. Um, would love to connect with, you know, your listenership. And it was great talking to you guys, too. Love what you're doing. Uh, we appreciate all the hard work you guys are doing over there. This is uh, the woman who's working out of Get Her Headquarters, helping to make America great again. Kingsley Cortez, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you. So I don't know if you saw this week, Noah, but they started, uh, you know, like a, con a congressional senatorial inquiry to, well, they brought Chris Ray before committee. And they're trying to get some answers on some of the overt corruptionness that's going on within the hallowed halls of the FBI. And, uh... 
It probably didn't go as planned, especially by the time we get to the end. You're probably going to be pretty blown out of the water by some of his responses. I'm going to jump right into it with Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, he actually confronted Christopher Ray. Listen, who should have been fired a long fucking time ago? The guy was a... There's so many people that should have been fucking fired a long time ago. Him and Dr. Fauci, though, were the two biggest ones that they should have got rid of. Schedule F off. Yeah, exactly. You're fired. But uh, let's hear Ted Cruz jump in and uh, start talking about the Michigan Fed napping case. Oh. Yep. Recently, there was the case against individuals charged with kidnapping and murdering Governor Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan. Mm. That case ended up an absolute debacle where the four people who went to trial, two of them were acquitted, two received mistrials. None of them were convicted on even a single charge, and the basis of the defense was entrapment, that the FBI, that paid enforcements for the FBI, had suggested and had incited the conduct. Let me ask you, how many FBI agents were disciplined or reprimanded after that disastrous case and the misconduct that led to every defendant being acquitted or having a mistrial on every charge. I thought he was going to say, does it take this uh, Senator, <laughs> I can't comment on a personal matter. I can oh, tell no. you that that case, as I understand it, is now pending a, uh, a retrial, as I understand it. Well, the special agent in charge of that case has now been sent to D.C., to the Washington, D.C. office, and now leads the investigation regarding January 6th. Is that correct? Fuck up to move up. That doesn't sound right to me. That does not sound right. The, the, the name of the individual is Stephen D'Antuno. He was, he was run out of the FBI Detroit field office. And by the way, I will point okay. out that the lead investigator, Special Agent Track, are you aware that he was apparently fired for allegedly beating his wife after coming home from a swingers party and he'd made multiple derogatory political posts about President Trump showing political bias? Are you aware of that? I am aware of, I think, the incident you're describing uh, and action that was taken about it. Uh, to clarify, on the first part of your question, uh, Mr. D'Antuano was the special agent in charge of the office, uh, the Detroit field office, and is now the assistant director in charge of the Washington field office. I thought you were asking about the agent who was responsible for the incident. So the guy in charge got promoted and is now in charge of the January 6th investigation. Perfect. Yes. The Perfect. guy in charge of the whole Detroit field office is now in charge of the whole Washington field office. That is astonishing. You can't make this shit up. <laughs> Senator Cruz would go on to talk about some of the documents that were leaked last week via Project Veritas, which outlined several noticeable symbols, flags, etc., phrases oh, that was... the FBI is using to blacklist people as possible domestic terrorists, or I don't know what the acronym means, DVEs. Yeah, domestic violent extremists. Yeah, there you go. How'd you know it? <laughs> is it because I am one? And I just did. Let's hear Senator Cruz talk about uh, his violent extremism. Yesterday, it was reported that Project Veritas had obtained a copy of an FBI training material, which listed various symbols and themes which, in the FBI's estimation, were indicative of, quote, militia violent extremism. Oh, you want to play violent now, extremism these symbols bingo? symbols weren't things like <laughs> the Ku Klux Klan or the Nazi Party, which naturally would be symbols of that. But instead, they included, rather astonishingly, Patriotic symbols of our nation and our history. Included on this list is the Betsy Ross flag. Oop. 
Got that one tattooed on me. Now, that's fairly mm. remarkable that the Betsy Ross flag and the FBI's indication is indicative of violent, uh, militia violent extremism, because among other people who have been publicly alongside the Betsy Ross flag, we have President Barack Obama, who was sworn in directly underneath two Betsy Ross flags. Awkward. But it's not just President Obama. We also have... President Biden, who was sworn in under Betsy Ross flags. It's not just the Betsy Ross flag. Also on this list is the Gadsden flag. Oh, got that in the studio. That's two. Mm. As a symbol of violent extremism. Now, the state of Virginia has a license plate for the Gadsden flag, as do many other states. I think people would be astonished to find that having that license plate, the FBI indicates that you're a violent extremist. Also included on this is a text that I was particularly struck is the Gonzales battle flag. Come and take it. As indicative of being a violent extremist militia. Well, I will self-report right now that every day in the Senate I wear my boots that have the Gonzales battle flag on the back of them. Mm. That's the only one I don't have. I got the Director patch, Director Ray, maybe. what are y'all doing? This makes no sense. Do you, do you agree with this FBI guidance that the Betsy Ross flag and the Gadsden flag and the Gonzalez battle flag are signs of militia violent extremism? We're there. Yeah. I mean, you, you never know who's watching you or what they're watching. And it could be something as inconspicuous as a tattoo or a license plate holder. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you could get well, red flagged. What hood over your head, back of the van? Yeah. Christopher Ray's response to these allegations uh, was a little surprising. Let's hear him. You've probably heard this one before, Noah. Mm. I, I'm not familiar with the particular Weird. document you have behind you. Oh. Uh, and I'm not in the practice of trying to comment on documents that oh. I haven't. Oh. Uh, recognized, but I will tell you that when we put out intelligence products, including ones that reference symbols, which we do across a wide variety of contexts, we usually uh, make great pains, take great pains to put uh, caveats and warnings in the document that make clear that a symbol alone is not considered evidence of violent extremism. Uh, and it's well, but Director Ray, you don't include things like. Antifa, you don't include things like Black Lives Matter. Instead, you identify patriotic Americans as suspects. And I would note there's a pattern of this. Mm-hmm. There well, certainly Senator- is. What do you think about that? Mm. It sounds like he didn't have the data. That's the problem. At least he's not as uh, girly-voiced as Mayorkas and Merrick Garland because they just make my stomach hurt when they talk. Yeah. Um, this committee was chaired by... Senator Chuck Grassley. Um, Actually, we're going to probably, I think I got one from Mike Lee first. He actually gave a good one. Let's hear uh, about abortion-related violent extremists. A group known as Jane's Revenge is taking credit for many of the attacks on pregnancy centers and on churches across the country. These, of course, endanger a lot of people, including volunteers and employees, people who are just coming to worship uh, or to seek health care uh, of, of one sort or another. How many domestic terrorism investigations does the FBI currently have open under the category of abortion-related violent extremism? 
I don't have the exact number, but I can tell you that God. we have opened a number of uh, domestic violent extremism investigations uh, using our joint terrorism task forces that are specifically uh, focused on attacks or threats against uh, churches, pro-life organizations, uh, uh, pregnancy resource centers, similar types of organizations, including, for example, uh, I know off the top of my head, we have one, uh, you know, in, in Senator Grassley's home state of Iowa, in Des Moines. Uh, we have one in Senator Blackburn's uh, state of, of, of uh, Tennessee. I think I, we have one in, in Senator Tillis's state uh, in North Carolina, I, Lincoln. I'm glad to hear that there are a number of yeah. them that are open, I, and I'll appreciate getting uh, more stats from you. Mm. Got to love those stats. So this whole thing came to fruition fast because of the whistleblower documents last week. Obviously, you want to be able to protect them, but at the same time, raise the concerns from the items that they've essentially leaked to Congress. Um, As I mentioned, Chuck Grassley chaired this commission. He would weigh in towards the end, and uh, he'd hit him with a couple bangers. Do you agree that any retaliatory conduct against whistleblowers must be disciplined? I think retaliatory conduct against whistleblowers is unacceptable. They serve a very, very important role in our system. I'm sure they uh, do. I know you have long championed uh, the cause of whistleblowers, um, and we have a number of mechanisms to try to make sure that they, are, they have the uh, mechanisms to report, but also the mechanisms to be protected from retaliation. One of the things that I've been doing since I became director is that every time we bring all of our SACs, our special agents in charge across the country together, which we do twice a year, we have the inspector general, Mr. Horowitz, come and talk to all of them in particular to talk to them about the importance of whistleblowers uh, and making sure that whistleblowers are protected. I doubt that. Highly doubt. Yeah. Um, Whistleblowers are the antithesis of everything that you want to happen. Yeah. Because big business, government waste, war, anything. It's You don't want to be held accountable. Why would you act like you want to be held accountable? Oh, the whistleblowers are the beneficial. And, it's like, fuck off. Give we're, me that shit. We're, uh, we're in the business of ruining people's lives. So yeah. whistleblowers are essential to uh, making sure that we... Uh, don't go over our numbers. Be honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. Hmm. He sure is. Chuck Grassley talked about some of the stuff that uh, happened regarding President Trump throughout the course of his presidency uh, as we're getting ready to wrap this here. If the FBI is going to open an investigation, you have to do it the right way. It appears that the right way was not done. Hmm. So... Let's contrast this investigation with what the FBI has done with allegedly criminal information received from numerous sources related to Hunter Biden. Simply put, the FBI shut down investigative activity. In August of 2020, the FBI supervisory intelligence analyst opened an assessment. This August 2020 assessment served as a vehicle by which the FBI headquarters team falsely labeled Hunter Biden information as, you know what, 
disinformation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As just one example, to make my concern clear, in October 2020, an avenue of reporting on Hunter Biden was ordered closed. That Hunter Biden information related to potential criminal activity. According to whistleblowers, the reporting was either verified or verifiable via criminal search warrants. But it was shut down on the basis of it being at risk of disinformation. Based on allegations, the evidence didn't support that finding. So let's look at both of these fact patterns. On the one hand, the FBI greenlit a full investigation into Trump based on liberal news articles and information derived from liberal nonprofits. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the FBI closed investigative activities and sources that provided verified or verifiable reporting on Hunter Biden. Director Ray, you'll have to explain to the committee and to the country how you'll manage this mess and how you'll clean house. Because mm. if you don't, Papa's coming. Now, in our last audio clip of the week, this is where I really couldn't grasp that this was happening in real time. I, I was really tired. I stayed up all day to, like, watch this, and I thought there was going to be some, like, kind of a cliffhanger, but it was like a reverse Uno card cliffhanger. Did you hear how it ended? Mm -mm. You're going to want to have your finger on the garrison button, but Ugh. then you're going to come in with one of those F-bomb-laden commentaries right after. Trust me, <laughs> I know you. Ready? Mm -hmm. Here we go. Senator, I, I uh, had had a flight that I'm supposed to be hightailing to out of here. Um, oh, what? I understood that we were going to be done at 1.30, so that was... That's how we ended up where we are. Hmm. If, it's your, if it's your business trip, you got your own plane. Can it wait a while? Wow. Sorry, to be honest. Um, I, I've, I've tried to make my break as fast as I could to get right back out of here. Yeah, so we you took resume. more than five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a tight ship, Mr. Director. Uh, listen, I, I don't recall mentioning in a second round. I want to accommodate as many as I can and still be respectful of the fact that this is your third appearance in two years before this committee, right. and I appreciate that very much. Um, that's the majority leader yeah. uh, on the chair. That's, mm -hmm. that's the Democrat right there. Um, I believe that was piece of shit. Are we, are we almost done? Dick Durbin. I, I, and then they fucking owned him. <laughs> you, know, I'd, I'd, you got your own plane. It'll wait, you fuck. I'd, I'd really like to answer your question, so I got I got a thing. Yeah. I, I, get me somebody. And got, get me somebody while I'm waiting. I got a stewardess I need to bang. The absolute state it's of the retarded. FBI. Yeah, that's where we're at. So as we head into the weekend, it was a good week, but it was a tough week. Uh, it was an eye-opening experience. I couldn't even garrison that one. It was just, here, there you go. Oh, scissor me timbers. That's all I can do. Very applicable. That's how stupid it was. But fact of the matter is, we, get, we got a lot of good news. We, we had some, well, I'm going to consider it outstanding commentary. I'm sure some of our detractors won't, but whatever. Mm. And, uh, you know, as we head into the weekend, we're going to keep an eye on CPAC. We'll bring you the absolute highlights. None of the fluff and garbage. Like, what is it? Awake, not woke? Yep. Yeah. Boomer sweats mania. 
It just doesn't resonate with the base. Nope. You know what does resonate with the base, though, is the Trump rally that's happening tonight in Wisconsin. We will be bringing you our exclusive and signature Steak for Breakfast Stoop to Nuts coverage of the event on our Tuesday edition of the show. Perfect. All right, joining us next on the show today, she is a former Trump White House advisor. She's also the host of This Is Your Country podcast. She's joining us again on the show. Paige Willie, thanks for coming down. Thanks for having me. So good to be back. Now, you're not our roving reporter, but you are live from CPAC today. So <laughs> what's it looking like on the ground there? Have you seen any anything good? Talk to anybody great? And uh, what are some of the things you're looking forward to hearing? Of course, yeah. There's a lot of grassroots energy. There are a lot of young people who are excited to be here. They're excited to hear from their you know, favorite people. Um, I'm excited because my old boss, Kevin Hassett, is here. Um, he's going to give a talk on the economy and sort of Joe Biden's economic policies, and that's his area of expertise. So um, that's what I'm personally excited for. That's good. And, uh, of course, we'll have some larger speakers throughout the course of the weekend. Uh, you know, Victor Orban kicked things off with a keynote yesterday on the first day. It was That was an amazing speech. I watched that live on television. And then leading all the way up to, obviously, Donald Trump, who will close out the event over the course of the weekend. It looks like it's going to be some pretty good speakers. That's exactly right. And uh, Steve Bannon is here. Um, I'm pretty sure I saw Carrie Lake floating around. So we've got a lot of heavy hitters here this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. I think Carrie's going to be joining us again next week. We're going to try and get that whole Arizona ticket in, maybe on one show. And, uh, awesome. Yeah, they've all come through several times, and we have really good relationships with everybody there. It was great to see the way that – Arizona ticket. So I, I do want to talk to you about the midterms. I know you're really dialed into the to politics and, uh, you know, being a former Trump White House official, obviously these midterms have to be a huge concern for you. It's great to see how many candidates we're getting over the finish line and into the general election. It's just how we're getting there right now seems to be uh, a little bit weird. Like, uh, not only are we going up against the usual forces that push back on the America First agenda, it seemed like there was some collaboration with some of the more reliable pollsters in this uh, election cycle mm. so far. And then obviously we've heard so many candidates at least come through our show. Uh, some of them, most of them Trump endorsed who are saying they're, they're getting a lot of resistance from the establishment uh, Republicans in Washington, D.C. too. How do you rate the midterm so far and, and, and what's your forecast looking like, uh, you know, heading into the summer months? <laughs> Well, I am very encouraged by the performances by John Gibbs in Michigan 3 and obviously Blake Masters in the Arizona Senate race. Um, very, very encouraging. Joe Kent is looking like he might just pull it off in yep. Washington 3. Obviously, he's a very strong candidate, a very unusual candidate, not backed by the Washington establishment, not backed by the sort of GOP apparatus. So he had a tough fight, but he's he's run a really good race, and it is looking very, very, very close for him to make that uh, that uh, runoff or that, that uh, the next step. And um, the... But that's a really good showcase of what we're dealing with in some of these midterms is that you've got some candidates who are not very strong. You know, they don't have a very inspiring policy agenda. They don't they seem to be just kind of offering up the usual platitudes and hoping that the establishment money comes in behind them and whatever establishment consultant or whomever is, you know, bolstering them. And so. I know that we on, on this podcast and on my podcast, we like to see someone with a little more energy, a little more uh, inspiring sort of things that they're calling for. And so that's where I, I line up. I like to see those signs of life from people like Blake Masters, Joe Kent, John Gibbs, et cetera. Yeah, you know, it's funny. John Gibbs' name comes up every once in a while. He's obviously one of our favorite guests to have been on the show. He's been on several times with us. He gave us a last-minute update on Election Day last week. And um, 
it's one of those things. If you don't take the time to get to know him, you'll never know how he's like equal parts brilliant and funny. You know, he he runs this amazing right. <laughs> amazing campaign. He's got like one of the best ground games out there. He touched every part of that district throughout the course of his campaign. And then literally night of the election, it's like a one and a half point difference between him and the uh, Republican incumbent, and he's posting memes of, like, the, sh- the supermarket with his name over <laughs> Pete Mahir's name or when he's eating his head like an apple. And I'm just like, this is the kind of candidates we want. This is a year ago when John Gibbs came on, like, the week that he announced that he was running in Michigan 3 and told us that he used to go to uh, meetings in HUD with Ben Carson, and when things got stale, he brought, like, huge posters of printed-out Donald Trump tweets to kind of – be like, hey, we're not getting the job done, and the boss is telling everyone that we're not getting the job done. It's like that level of humor is something that uh, not a lot of people bring to the table, but you know, it, it's pretty funny to see uh, and, and very relieving to see this broad base of diverse candidates we've got across the board in this midterm election. Thousand percent, and uh, you guys are super dialed into all these people, um, the, these you know sort of upstart, very MAGA populist candidates, um, and so I commend you guys because you have fantastic coverage of these races that some people it, it, they're really not on their radar. And I think you've hit on something really important, which is that people underestimate John Gibbs. They underestimate people like Joe Kent, and yep. they underestimate them because they don't understand what it's like to have a candidate who is genuinely. Um, they fight for the truth. They care about the truth. They care about standing up for these people. And they, as I say, they don't just want to say platitudes. They want to run a campaign that knocks doors, that finds people, that says, I will be your champion. And so they underestimated how smart John Gibbs is and how likable he is and how much people like him. And, every, and, and you've got some sort of establishment type saying, oh, well, Democrats came in and supported his candidacy. And they were just, of course, Democrats did that because they wanted to paint John Gibbs as some type of fringe candidate. Yep. But when you go on his website, which I'm sure a lot of those voters did when his name started being boosted, they looked at his platform and it is completely reasonable, completely pro-American, just the pro-citizen. He has a common sense stance on all of these issues. And so if someone goes there thinking, oh, I'm going to laugh at this sort of fringe, ridiculous candidate that the Democrats are promoting, they look at them and they say, actually, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want to... If the radical progressive left wants to start labeling fringe candidates as Harvard graduates who went on a worldwide Christian mission, learned Mandarin along the way, and then worked for one of the presidents of the United States, they can call all those people fringe we want. We need more people like that. Exactly. And as I say, when, when they're, you know, pointed to his website as sort of like, look at this ridiculous candidate, they're looking at that and saying, actually, it would be nice if all politicians stood for basic common sense things like that so that would make our country better. Yep. Yeah. And somebody <laughs> like John Gibbs is running in, you know, the district he essentially grew up in, the one that his parents still live in. And uh, it's one of those things where he's a product of there. And he tells us all the time, the economy, the inflation, the gas prices, the job market, the things they're doing to indoctrinate kids at school, it's beating his district up. So if he's an example of what that district can produce and he wants to go back and serve it, it was like almost a slam dunk. I felt like he was going to be one of the strongest candidates in the whole election. He kind of went under the radar quite a bit. We were glad to uh, have hosted him and we'll be hosting him again soon. But the fact of the matter is, is yeah, like we talk about the diversity of this MAGA base and this new populist uh you know, candidates that we have running these elections, and it just makes for uh, a great recipe heading into uh, the generals. That's right. And another thing that I try to emphasize is that, you know, someone like John Gibbs, 
who is interesting because he is he doesn't look like a typical Republican candidate. Uh, you know, John Gibbs doesn't lean into identity politics. And I worry sometimes that Republicans get too carried away with that because a lot of times the diverse base of Republican voters now, they are resolutely focused on economic prosperity. And again, not, not to sound like I'm talking in platitudes, but a lot of these people, they're, they have been so, they have suffered from terrible policy. They have suffered from globalism. They have suffered from the job loss that comes with offshoring. They have suffered from the loss of wages that comes with open borders and, and the effect of employment on mass immigration or the effect of mass immigration on employment. And it's really important to say to these people, it doesn't matter what you look like when you are a person who is suffering from these policies, we understand exactly how to fix it. And so I think that leaning too hard into identity politics actually is a mistake, but um, uh, showing that you genuinely care that you have compassion for when people are suffering from, from ideological uh, experiments from the, the, from globalism, that that is something that can really mobilize people because that's where their losses are coming from. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and if you want to stay in the thread of globalism, you know, you've done some really comprehensive expose work uh, on your podcast. This is our country regarding the crisis that's going on on the southwest border. I, I hear you chuckle, but but it's actually true. You know, I've read through a lot of those articles and and you really are dialed into, uh, you know, the pulse of what the actual problem is there. It's not just the file footage of people walking across shallow parts of the, the Rio Grande and sitting under a bridge with like some border patrol guys, uh, you know, walking around in the background, you are really connecting the dots to everything that's going on down there. You want to give our listenership a little bit update on like your most recent show and some of the stuff that you're covering in regards to the border. Sorry, I've lost you there for a second. Can you repeat your question? Yeah. I just asked if you could give our listenership an update on some of the stuff that you've, uh, you know, been covering in regards to your most recent podcast on the border. Yes. So what I try to explain to people with the issue with these immigration issues is that the government is playing an enormous role in these really sick, backward, disturbing things you see going on. Number one, when you've got children trafficked here by the cartels, you know, they're paid by their parents or the cartels are paid by the parents of these children or whomever to take them to America. And then the government acts as the final leg of the traffickers in this situation, which is that you've got the Department of Health and Human Services, Office of Refugee Resettlement, as if it's such a you know wonderful, virtuous thing, <laughs> taking these children, settling them with dubious, quote unquote, sponsors who, as I note on my podcast, they can't even call these people relatives in good faith anymore because their, their parents are stuck back in Central America. Who are the children being resettled with? Why are we using public money to do it? And why is it happening at a scale? This is not some like one-off accident where it's a couple dozen children a year, you know, coming up with no parents. This is 161,000 children that they are expecting to be dealing with in, in this manner in this year alone. So this is a problem that has been going on for, you know, 10, 20 years, a known problem that Congress at one point tried to hold, you know, hearings about. They tried to look at the Obama administration and say, what exactly are you facilitating here? Where are these children going and how are they treated? And the answer is it's pretty dark and disgusting because you will you will never hear reporters uh, hit on this as if it's a ongoing systemic problem, which is what I try to emphasize with my podcast when you really study it. They'll have one-off articles where they say, oh no, six children from Guatemala turned up working in a chicken plant and they were you know, housed by these people who turns out are not their parents they're just labor traffickers. Yep. And so this is what your taxpayer money is going to. This is where these children are going to in this country. So the key thing, 
for Republicans to identify and to focus on with policy is that open borders is not some beautiful, wonderful humanitarian answer to suffering around the world. It is a disgusting, exploitative situation. Yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, the human element, the child trafficking aspect of it. I mean, everybody talks about like the fentanyl and the sex trade and how, you know, um, hard of a journey it is to come from wherever they come from in the world and then make their way up South America and through Mexico and up to the U.S. southern border. But there are literally kids who are getting like picked up at their house virtually anywhere in the third world. They're put on a bus or a plane and eventually they wind up at the southern border after a, a, a long trek with other children. And, you know, we, we had seen recently uh, just on the news, I don't know if you saw it, Paige, there was like a tractor trailer in South Texas that got pulled over and it was like one that hauled grain and they took the container off uh, the lid off the side of it and there were kids like passed out in there. Like they tried to like pull them out and stand them up and they were just like collapsing on the ground from the lack of oxygen and how many people were packed in there. There was also that tractor trailer where, you know, over 50 people died just a month ago in Texas because the smugglers abandoned it. And that's one of the risks that these people uh, run. You know, if you get hurt or injured, they leave you. If they're fearful of getting caught or, you know, anything in regards to that, they just take off and leave you uh, in the middle of nowhere. Like, thousands of miles potentially where you used to live from you don't speak the language you don't know the culture you don't have a compass obviously either and it just turns into a really dangerous thing now if you add the component of this being children just imagine how hard uh the trek becomes then so yeah you've done some really great work on that and uh you know we're going to continue to share it when when you you know crank out those podcasts because i think it's a very informative portion of like this huge crisis that's going on that we don't shine enough attention on Thank you. And I appreciate you saying that. I mean, obviously, you guys are very knowledgeable about this as well. You consume a huge amount of information and and sort of distill it for your listeners about this. And you did a great job covering some of these hearings where they hauled in that disgusting uh, cabinet secretary, Secretary Mayorkas, to testify about what exactly he is doing with, with some of these policies and how intentional it is by on his part to maximize The number of people coming here, no matter how destitute, no matter how exploited, no matter what abuse they they endure on their way here. And so I just think it is so important for Republicans to shed this fear of being the sort of cold hearted, anti-humanitarian scrooges when they should really be saying, look, everyone is getting the short end of the stick here. Both the people who are trafficked here and these, you know, destitute, these tractor trailers dying of heat stroke coming here and being put to work immediately as 15 year olds in these chicken plants and these, you know, working in crop fields. And then America being forced, you know, all these people all in towns across the country, their schools are packed to the brim. You heard Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, saying we can't be shouldering this burden. The, the public services are being strapped as is. And I just thought that was a really interesting uh, admission on his part that that is the first time that I've heard Democrats acknowledge that public money is a finite resource. And when you've got, you know, busloads, thousands, hundreds of thousands, now millions of other countries' citizens coming here and being entitled to tap into these public services, you know, thanks to Mayorkas and thanks to Joe Biden. Yep. It becomes a question of competing with, you know, our their domestic clients who need lots of public services. Yeah, it's pretty funny to have seen Eric Adams and uh, Muriel Bowser go on back-to-back Sunday morning news show circuits and uh, cry about how the migrants that Greg Abbott and uh, 
you know, Ron DeSantis and some other states down there are busing up to New York and Washington, D.C. and and just dumping off in the in the middle of the city. It's it would sounds like it's kind of a crisis. I mean, Eric Adams and, and Miro Bowser both teased about mobilizing the National Guard to try and, and to deal with denied. This. Yeah, it was denied. But but the fact of the matter is, I mean, when, when you're making such, you know, huge uh, needs like that, it, it, it sounds like a crisis, even though Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden said there's no crisis down there. It yeah, seems like fine. some red state governors are causing many crises for those uh, mayors of the biggest radical progressive cities we have in this country. That's right. And you had a number of reporters who've been down on the scene there every single day at the border saying, what exactly do these, you know, mayors in in these northeast cities think they're complaining about the these tiny tiny towns with very low you know average income very low tax base to tap into to begin with have been asked to shoulder this burden you know at exponential rates every single day since joe biden took office when he signed that giant stack of executive orders on his desk saying you know our our first priority in office is to dissolve the border and eliminate u.s sovereignty yeah, it, it's just absolutely absurd what's been going on down there for the last now nearly two years. But I fear, well, I'm, I'm I fear for them that after the midterm elections, they're not going to like the articles of impeachment that are going to be produced by hopefully a large majority in the Senate in regards to Mayorkas. And well, it should be Article Two for Joe Biden. Article One is obviously going to be Afghanistan, but. Right. You know, it's just one of those things we're living in some crazy times. And it, it seems like all the things that we can talk about, no matter what, the economy, the uh, geopolitics, the U.S. southern border, uh, the migrant crisis that's now spiked across the country and the midterm elections are all kind of tied into each other. So we need to just kind of all stick with it and uh, keep on the fight. Now, Paige, we know you're getting ready to run back to CPAC. You got some speakers to see. But before we let you go, and of course, we're obviously going to be inviting you back again sometime soon. We love when you come on in the commentary you give on all the things we're talking about. We want to direct as much of our listenership that doesn't already follow you to find you. So where will you find your podcast and uh, what are your social medias? Oh, well, thanks, guys. As again, it is such a pleasure to be on. You guys are so well informed and you do such a service to your listeners by helping them keep up to date with all this important information. Um, so you can follow me on Twitter at Midwesterner with an E-U-R at the end, Midwesterner. Um, please join and support our um, our super PAC that yep. puts out messaging to hold the establishment accountable and get them more in line with our GOP voters at AmericanFirebrand.com and see what we put out. And then follow my podcast, This Is Your Country with Paige Willie on Apple. Apple or Spotify. We will be live linking everything in the show description today. And like I said, of course, we'll be looking to have you back at some point in the near future, Paige. We love having you on. This is the uh, host, as she mentioned, of This Is Your Country, Paige Willie. Thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Fiery way to end the week. What do you think, Noah? I like it. I liked it too. Busy show, busy week. As long as it's not fiery, but mostly peaceful. Absolutely. Listen, shit's getting hard, but... All good things come to those who are willing to work the hardest for it. And, uh, that's what she said. That's what she always says. Minute 37 or last, get it done. <laughs> you know what's a little bit longer? And there's a whole bunch more of them. The other 157 episodes of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. You can find them across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podaddict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, and we're even on Frank's Beach. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. Uh, former Trump campaign and administration officials, Paige Willie, live from CPAC, and Kingsley Cortez, live from the new Getter HQ in Washington, D.C. In addition to her, 
Republican nominee for the governor of Maryland, Mr. Dan Cox. In addition to him, some of our internet friends. Q White memes. Patriotic baby counts, Mr. Garbaggio and Christina Bob of Save America. Friends, don't forget to go out and throw some cash at our partners, because when you do that, the only thing that happens is you help make small American businesses great again. Speaking of which, my pillow. You like sleep? MyPillow.com forward slash steak. Enter steak at checkout for big, big savings. You like mornings? MyStore.com forward slash steak. Enter same promo code. Get 25% off the coffee. That coffee's really good. I tried it finally. Woo, nice. All that and more. You can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things audio-related can be found at Odyssey. Best pair of headphones I've ever owned. Get your ears done up and taken care of. They'll do you right there. Make the investment. Odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready, gear holsters. If you want to get a picture of soon-to-be former FBI director Christopher Wray telling the Grassley-led Senate committee that he's got to catch a plane to answer their questions. They'll throw it on a concealed carry Kydex holster and get those orders out faster than ever before. StayReadyGear.com is the website. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs! Didn't feel like uh, really had anything man rubby this week. Oh, you know what? I had some chicken. It was pretty good. I had a steak last night, Mm -hmm. but I left it in the fridge too long, Mm. and it got a little funky. Ooh. It's kind of zesty, more zesty than it should have been. Wasn't the man rubs? I didn't use the man rubs. I used oh. salt and pepper that time. Go. Okay. So well, it really wasn't very good for the sponsor, but well, I had that's some, what happened to me. I had some chicken this week. I baked it. We like to be relatable. There you go. But before I did, I bought it, shook it, sprinkled it, rubbed it, threw it in the oven, eventually into my mouth. Num, num, num. Waiting for it. Oh, there oh, she oh, is. Oh, 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 oh. Scissor me timbers. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms, has a simple equation for all of your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. The newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger or via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to love all the gear they've got going on down there, and you're going to like their Instagram a little bit more. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, the home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us. Figure it out. They're on Facebook and Instagram. Upcoming shows. Let's see. We're going to be back next week. We're coming in on Tuesday. So far, we've got Trump and Grinnell endorsed U.S. House candidate, New York 3. We're going to start focusing on those elections right now. We've got Alaska, New York, Connecticut, Wisconsin, and Florida coming up. George Santos will be here. We've got some spots to fill, and uh, we'll fill them up over the weekend. On the 16th, we'll be sitting down with Christina Bob, and so far on the 26th, turned out to be a banger. We're going to be doing all the news with Geisha Montez, and it's going to be our next sit-down with Mr. Cash Patel. Um, I already talked to all of the winners from the Arizona primaries. I'm going to email them over the weekend. We'll get some dates in. Who knows? Some of them might even show up on Tuesday. Friends of the Week. We got our uh, True Social Twitch streamers. Beastie Man, Burger Man, and American Nintendo, and all their friends. And besides them, let's go Brenda, John Hacker LA, Midnight Mitch, Silent Meme Jordy, Madam America, Real Al Gorbachev. Nice. Right Wing Savages 2.0, Mostly Peaceful, Grand Old Memes, and Baby Cakes 2.0. Guys, thanks to remember between now and Tuesday, number one, do your own research. I had to do a little bit digging to find some dirt on the schlaps. But uh, thanks to someone with balls the size of Raheem Kassam, I was able to present it to you today. So you want to know a little bit more about what's going on instead of just like, wow, look, shiny on TV? Do your own research. 
Number two, start a podcast. You said schlap and balls in the same sentence. Mm, better than better than schlong COVID, right? Ah, Got you. Still amazing. Love it. Uh, number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. We can make American greatness after this midterm elections. It's going to take a lot of hard work to get there, and we're just getting started. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 158 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back with episode 159 on Tuesday. So far, we've got George Santos running a New York 3 lined up. Who knows who else is going to show up? On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the Trump rally tonight, and take care. Wish I was chilling with my homie KT, so then I dropped on some Anthony B. told me that too every day for almost 20 years I was a child when you took me I saved you no no we were happy on my home planet going to bed hungry scrounging for scraps. Your planet was on the brink of collapse. I'm the one who stopped that. Do you know what's happened since then? The children born have known nothing but full bellies and clear skies. It's a paradise. Because you murdered half the planet. A small price to pay for salvation. You're insane. Little one, it's a simple calculus. This universe is finite, its resources finite. If life is left unchecked, life will cease to exist. It needs correction. You don't know that! I'm the only one who knows that.